is there any other player that's like soiled his his perception with a fan base by just being a crappy coach of the team he was a legend of? He is too smart for his own good, and he know thinks and knows that he's the smartest person in the room and acts like it um, to where it was when you are telling your players you need to change the lie of your stick and your the curvature on your blade um, this way and this way and this way it's not going to go very well <laughs> no I'm sorry oh, it's like coaching Ryan Johansson be like Ryan, stop kissing things. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan, no, stop it. Well, stop he, kissing things. Yeah, and he's doing some like consulting, and you know, players are h- hiring him now to work on fine tuning things. But that's a little bit different than you know, this is how you're going to play. Yeah, we're the making system. wholesale changes that you're going to play like Adam Oates 2.0. Damn it! Exactly. Well, it's it's the difference between um, you know managing the the floor of like the Ford car factory, like where all, they're pumping all the Mustangs, and versus. Running a custom Mustang shop where you're taking off the you know off the shelf Mustangs and making them into like high end machines. Yeah, totally different roles. Mm-hmm. NHL news: uh, Mike Yo fired via text message. I believe he confirmed with Russo that uh, <laughs> our favorite assistant principal is no longer uh, the coach of the Wild. Who's gonna hold the library down? I'm about to say, what was your favorite uh, Yo moment? Like when he wheeled the TV into the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Although he he's. He definitely strikes me as the guy that would wheel the TV in the classroom and be like, all right, we're going to watch something. Here's a worksheet that you need to fill out while you watch oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's like, we're yeah. going to remember the Titans today. But here's here's a here's a worksheet. I need you to fill out the major themes as you go through. Like, oh, I hated that. So my worry is that Minnesota, it seems like that this happens in multiple times where they have some type of moment that just re-energizes them. It's like they have a bunch of guys like Vanek, Parisi, Suter that have been here, done that, you know, and then... Oh well, it's different now. We got Devin Dubnik. Oh, we're we're gonna start doing this now, and they go on a run. How worried are we? Should we? How worried should we be about the Minnesota Wild going on a run after firing their guy who's been coaching them for five years? The only thing that worries me about the Minnesota Wild is that I won't be able to use them to lull me to sleep at night. Maybe. I mean, you don't know who they're gonna bring in. It's gonna take a lot. Of, it's gonna take a Adam lot. No, you know what though? No, he he <laughs> is doing consulting work with Parise and Suter and a couple other people. If they bring in Adam Oates, I will be so happy. into a show that has a very special delivery from uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky today. I'm so happy. This is a great day. This is the podcast brought to you by Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions and on, on forecheck.com. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. So I got really bored. Uh, I was I was kind of stuck uh, on medicine on Friday and on Saturday. So, it sat, so Saturday rolls around and I wanted to go out for a drive. And um, I'm still breaking in my car because it's driving is completely different than my other car. So I was, you know what? I haven't been to Bowling Green in forever, and uh, while I was up there, I was like, you know, Gads is there. Gads, Great American Donut Shop, which every every topper you know is is automatically smiling after hearing that. So the amount of fuel that they've given uh, sleep deprived college students over the years is probably unmeasurable. What's your go to there? What's my go to there? Oh, it's been so long. Um, I would usually go 
Um, depending on the time of day and how I was feeling, I'd get a large coffee, a milk, and then usually a chocolate donut, a vanilla sprinkle, and then depending on what they had, either a cherry filled or a raspberry filled. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, just, I can't do cherries. Really? Oh. Like at all? Just any uh, they cherries? Taste, they taste like, uh, they taste like uh, cough medicine to me. You know, the artificial cherry flavor sometimes does that, but it kind of depends on it. Because when I was yeah. growing up... The, like when it's really syrupy and, and like sweet. Yeah. It, that, because of the, probably because of stuff as a kid. Right. Oh, can't do cherries. Yeah, everyone has like that Vix 44 Robitussin. Oh, it's yeah. totally mm-hmm. what it is. Vix 44 with vodka is actually not good. That, that's, <laughs> that, anyone listening, <laughs> that's a terrible <laughs> idea. Do not do that if you are a child... Do not do that. And do, if you're a if human you're a, being, you're don't a do human that. Being, don't do if you're that. under 21 and you think, that, oh, that sounds like a good idea, don't yeah, do that. Let's, let's not do that again. Um, <laughs> strawberry This is terrible advice. From the all. strawberry frosted donut. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah let's, let's pull us back on donuts. Mm. <laughs> no, Murfreesboro has donut country. Western has um, Gad's. Every, every little Collison has this awesome little donut place. Well, up, up here, uh, in Nashville proper, there's Shipley's, of course. Yes, this is true. Shipley's isn't open 24 hours a day, though. I don't care. I, I'm not awake 24 hours a day. Panama City used to have, uh, it was like a spud nuts. It was like a potato. Yeah. Finish that sentence. The potato. It was potato donuts. They were all really good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then there was uh, daylight donuts when I was in you know, visiting my friends in Gainesville. I don't remember what the one in Pensacola was, but it's a staple of every good college town, having a really awesome donut shop. So on that note, how was your weekend? It was all right. It was all right. Do anything special? Not really. It's I all right. I finally saw Deadpool. I enjoyed it a lot for those who haven't seen it. And like fun movies, I'd recommend it very much. Just don't bring your kids, right? Do not bring your kids. And you know what? I Actually, so from hearing about it, I thought that it was going to be a lot more like violent than it actually was. Like It's very violent, don't get me wrong, but I thought it was going to be, you know, just way over the top when it's, you know... Limbs are getting cut off, and people are getting shot in the head, but it's not anything that, you know, makes you want to throw up or anything like that. How would you put it on par with the uh, Deadpool or the Daredevil series on Netflix? I don't think that you can compare them, to be quite honest with you, just as as far as, like, violence goes. As far as violence goes. Oh, I thought that the uh, Daredevil series was much more violent. Okay. All right. Really? Yeah, well, you see a dude get his head chopped off repeatedly by getting his head slammed in a car door in the Daredevil oh, yeah, series. Yeah, that was, I mean, uh, that, was, that was one instance, a couple instances of that. That's pretty rough. Yeah. I love that series. I'm so excited for season, season two. two. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm actually, I'm, I'm nine episodes into Jessica Jones, which is, of mm-hmm. course, the the second Marvel production. It's phenomenal. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty dark, though. I mean, if you think, if you thought Daredevil was dark, Jessica Jones is much darker. Because it's more psychologically dark oh, than, yeah. than Daredevil is. And what I loved about that is it just does, it doesn't feel like a superhero show at all. To, when I was watching it, like, there were certain things about it where you're like, yes, this is Marvel. Yes, they're re- referencing things. But for the most part, the storyline and yeah, everything else I, transcends I, that. I, I mean, I agree to an extent. I, I did have a moment of distance today where I'm watching it, and uh, none of this will be spoilers or, or anything like that. But um, I'm just like, there's a guy who can control people with his mind and make them do whatever he wants. You'd think that they could just get in touch with one of the big superheroes that are running on the universe and say, there's a problem. Like, this is the same universe as, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. Like, you think someone would be mm-hmm. like, this guy's problematic. We should do something about it. Everyone's sort of like, nah. I thought that they talked about that in the episode. 
because they, maybe they, they, maybe they didn't one of them maybe I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty early on where they said you know like hey call Captain America or call something like that. Well, yeah, but that was, it was kind of I think that was more of a, like it was it was like a facetious comment. Hmm. Um, but like you think like someone who identified him as a legitimate threat and done something rather than just sort of been like. Yeah, I think so. It, that, I had that moment where it kind of broke for me a bit, but it's yeah. fine. Uh, I thought you were talking about X Men at first. Like X Men didn't quite the X Men universe doesn't quite cross over to the rest of the Marvel universe. Yeah, no, it does not. Of course, yeah. Okay, so I thought you were referencing Pref- Professor X there, and I'm like, mm, no, quite. no, close. No. The the main villain in uh, the purple. Uh, they don't refer to. Him, I don't think they haven't referred to him in, in uh, is this him at all. I don't know. No, but, they never call uh, him uh, Purple Man. Uh, yeah, in in the comics in the Marvel universe, he's known as Purple Man. Well, um, I had a interesting week, which you know I can probably see it on my Twitter. I still have my hospital band on. I'm gonna wear this for a while until like it becomes unrecognizable. And just in case you know you get lost or something, they can. You never know. Yeah, return to uh, this. Can I, yeah, can I like scan? Address. Can I scan your barcode with my phone and see if I think it comes, it's comes also up? got a QR code on it too. Oh, oh, yeah. exciting! I know the future's here. <laughs> Finally. After all these Man, years, people are actually wearing QR codes. Mm, I wonder what Dan actually, is allergic if, to. If there's any industry that would find a way to use QR codes, ten, like five years, six years out, since everyone stopped using them, it would be the medical industry, probably. Yeah, I mean, we're all we're all in the medical industry indirectly, right? Indirectly, yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. All right, let's talk about some hockey. Um, so. If I told you going into this past week that uh, the Predators would get points out of every game, what would your reaction have been? Um, I'd have been okay with that. Playing I, the Stars, the Bruins, the Kings, getting points in all of them. I mean, yeah, that'd be fine. Sorry, I, I have a diff- I have a difficulty di- separating it, the expectation up the, on the front end and having watched the execution the other end. <laughs> <laughs> That's and I'm sort of like, I'm sort of like, yeah, if you told me then, I'd probably be like, yeah, but then if I watched and how it actually happened, I'm like, mm, past me didn't know. Past me just didn't know. So let's talk about the Dallas game first. Um, I feel like they deserved, uh, they deserved better in this one, but at the same time, the Stars, the Stars show why they're there. The Stars show why they're at the top of the Central right now. Um, yeah. it, it, the game might have appeared reasonably even, but I think just the quality of the chances that the Stars are producing. I mean, it, you just cannot contain them, and they are going to burst past you at every every chance they get. And I, I, I honestly think the pred- the Predators were a bit lucky to look as in the game and to get a point out of that in, based on how everyone was playing. Uh, I, I think Dallas could have easily just beaten them, you know, 4-1, 3-1 without an issue. And I think that also one thing that we haven't seen a whole lot this season is, you know, finishing chances. And Dallas gave Nashville plenty of chances like they do every team. And I, I thought that Nashville could have done a much better job executing when they were given those opportunities. And that game could have been a little bit less, I guess, in doubt, if you want to say that. Fair enough with that. Uh, Carter Hutton gets the start, second straight start from him. Um, that was a big deal. It was, and I think it was the right call at that at that point in time. Um, and you saw why. I mean, he played a very good game considering yep. the chances that Nashville was letting the Stars have and just the team that Dallas is. Because, I mean, like you said, Link, they're going to get their chances either way. Um, and coming off that shutout against the Panthers, I think that there wasn't really a, a very good justifiable reason to go back to Rene. And, I mean, at this point, I don't think that you can still say, you know, oh, well, Carter Hutton is going to get the majority of the starts and everything like that. But if he starts once every, you know, uh, every other other game or once every three games or something like that, I think that's what they should look at going down the stretch. 
I, if the team's goal is to make the playoffs and be successful in the playoffs, that's what they need to do to make sure they've got a somewhat rested Pecorino. I mean, mm-hmm. that's been, I think, what ultimately kills him and why, in a good hypothesis for why his performance declines at the end of every season, maybe because he's exhausted. You mean the guy was taking an IV during the Detroit yeah. series? Um, I mean, this is this should not be news that yeah. Rene gets exhausted this time of the year. Uh, second line looked really good the entire week, starting with the Dallas game. Uh, Forsberg, Smith, Ribeiro, all playing very well. Um, but for the most part, the top line was pretty quiet the whole the whole rest of the week. Uh, Forsberg's name did get mentioned because he was the guy who was trying to leave the ice during three on three, and no one was ready to come on, so he come, jumps back into the play. Trips gives up the three on one, and uh, that's how this one ended. Yeah, well, I think we have to accept that the Predators just have no idea how to handle the three on three, and Laviolette happens to be in the uh, the same pool of coaches who who just don't seem to get what to do. Uh, you see some coaches out there who just like no, go do your thing, or you know, make sure you play defensively, or because you know, there's a handful of coaches are doing that, and and I think a lot of the a lot of the teams are doing that in the beginning of the year with three on three, they're playing over cautious, and they're trying to play a very defensive like possession game on three on three, and then a couple of them realize that it's a shooting gallery, just get the puck in the rush, don't worry about trying to set up a play, and just get it on net, and things happen. Yeah, and. I've seen a lot of uh, teams in three-on-three that instead of, you know, like treating it like a power play where everyone's in their spot and they're passing it back and forth, trying to open up the defenders and open up the goaltender, they're cycling around and they've got the puck on their sticks and they're moving in circles around the defensive zone, which gets the defenders running, and that opens up the play. And the Predators aren't doing that. They're doing what they're doing on the power play if they can even get a sustained uh, offensive jump yeah. on there because it becomes an epidemic of passing for the Predators and a lot of time spent getting into a certain formation and trying to to pull the other the opposition out of their uh, their right formation or their positioning while the Predators are still in the defensive zone so they're trying to set up like a whole breakout play on three on three and the other team's just sort of like okay we'll just hang out here you guys can wear yourselves out and when we get the puck you know, we'll we'll just push up the I think ice. He just may have indirectly kind um, of the reason why they're so terrible on the defensive side as well, because they're treating it like a penalty kill. I, it's that's the most. I mean, they're completely conceding possession. They're not pressuring the shooter at all. They're just trying to, to stay in front of the guy, and that's how they lost the Kings oh, game. That's much, how they lost the Stars game. There's so much space out there. You cannot do that. Mm-hmm. I, I I saw people trying to pin the goal on uh, the one. Uh, I guess I think against the Kings on Rene. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, right. really. Like, what's he supposed to do? There's all this space. The defense are really not doing anything because there's there's fairly st- like the predators were fairly static in the zone, and the kings just sort of went around them. Yeah, well, we'll save the con- the, the kings uh, <laughs> recap a little bit later. What on. are you mad about things, Dan? Well, I, before you, we jump on, I'll say because you know also people were trying to pin the loss on Forsberg since he spilled and you know it was a um, essentially a three on one. But you said it if you're trying to get off the ice. And no one is ready to jump on for you. That's not your were, fault. Were people blaming him on the, for the Dallas one or for the uh, uh, one? on the Dallas one. On the Dallas people one, were yeah. blaming Forsberg yeah. for that because he tripped and you know that led to the three on one and yeah, well, that everything. Was, that was not the only time the Predators have lost overtime based on on poor line changing. So it's not a Forsberg thing; it's a team thing. Exactly. The only part about the the game that really left me a sour taste in my mouth was um, Dallas should have either been called for either interference, holding, or too many men. You can take your pick. When uh, Ribeiro was over there by the Stars bench, uh, Sharp, had, Sharp knocked him back into the bench as he was coming off the ice, which 
that would either, by definition would be too many men. But you could also give the other two on him as well. So uh, it, it could be a, could have been a bench miner of yeah, any sort. It could have been a bench miner of any sort at that minor. point. Uh, completely missed it. I'm I'm, I'm amazed with the uh, the little uh, contact that there is in three on three. How many missed calls there are? But you mean the officials have been bad recently? I just I, I the officials have had some bad luck. Too. <laughs> I don't Jeez. know That's if true. it's uh maybe there's just a general directive not to over penalize or to heavily penalize three on three because I don't see a ton of penalties called at that point. I mean one because there's more space and people aren't hitting. But it just seems like they they're more content to I, not go up four on three. And have I don't know. I've, I almost want to agree with you, but at the same time, I've seen a couple of instances just watching just random games where there like there's one overtime recent. I can't remember who it was, but the entire thing was played four on four, uh, mostly because I think there was like a carryover penalty, and then there just wasn't any uh, stoppage in play. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one not too long ago where they did call. I think it was Chicago versus. Um, uh, I almost said Phoenix, Arizona, where Chicago was on the power uh, was on the penalty kill, and then right after that they went on the power play. So it's like two penalties called right in a row. But that's not to say that that yeah, doesn't happen I, often. I think we're both kind of saying from what we've watched, yeah. we don't know for sure exactly. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Boston, uh, the Boston game, two nothing shutout. Um, we can go a lot of different directions with this. Second line stayed hot. Pecorine looked like the team wanted to win this one for him. They did a really good job protecting him. But almost looked like they they treated him like a good backup goaltender in the sense that he didn't have to face a whole lot of second shots. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised with uh, how well the Predators limit. I mean, granted they're, they're good at limiting shots, but mm-hmm. against a team like the Bruins and, and shutting down uh, Marshawn, who's having an unprecedented season for him, uh, I was a little surprised to see him get away to zero. Yeah, and I think that also might be a testament to resting Rene because he looked. He didn't look like the frazzled goaltender and the jittery goaltender we see every once in a while. He looked like he was steady, confident in what that he was doing. Um, and the Predators just did a really good job cooling down that entire team. Because, I mean, the Bruins have been doing a great job getting back into uh, a playoff position. I think they're still second in the Atlantic Division right now. Um, and they've been winning a ton of games recently, and they just did not look like they kind of the Bruins kind of looked at, out of sorts. And I don't know if that's because of you know they were having an off game or the, the Predators did a lot there, or maybe a mix of both. The Bruins were on a heck of a road trip, and they showed up to a little bit off topic, but they showed up to Dallas last night and put up a seven to three marker on the Dallas, scoring six straight. And the two of the three goals that the Bruins allowed. Shouldn't have even been goals. Well, Dallas has <laughs> been doing that a lot recently, though. What, what, I didn't see the highlights for that game. What happened? Uh, there was one uh, instance where Artuka got him of his legs taken out from underneath him. Um, it it sort of been interference. Uh, Boston just got turned green, turned into the Incredible Hulk. And so, so they just played a very Boston game. They played a, well. They played a very Boston game after Tuka got kind of messed around a little bit, mm. and uh, yeah, at the point there was a loud, audible "Let's go Bruins" chant. So. Uh, you know, I mean, hockey tour. We talked a little bit about this uh, a while ago. Uh, hockey tourism is on the rise as far as like people just going different places and fans are traveling more. It's it's uh, it's not quite to the NFL level where visiting fans make up a third of your audience uh, just at any given stadium. But it's the worst thing. I like it. Uh, going back to this one, uh, Rene looked rested. Uh, his side-to-side movement was very good. He wasn't being overly aggressive, and that's one of the biggest complaints I have about Pecorine this year is he's jumping out to the top of the crease almost all the time, and that's the book on Pecorine is that if you can make that extra one or two passes, if you can find space in the coverage, you're going to be in good shape. Well, And beyond that, is if you do 
put the puck on the net when he's out aggressively and he makes that first stop but doesn't collect the rebound, the Predators are very weak this season at clearing the paint. So if you've got a guy stationed around the net, he's got a good chance at a great shot and probably a goal because Pekka's going to be way out. If there's a rebound, there's not really a Predator to push him out of the out of the, uh, the crease. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add on that, John? Uh, not really. I was just having flashbacks to that Chicago game where Andrew Shaw scored that uh, uh, those two goals. Kind of like that same idea. Rene gets lost too aggressive, gets lost behind his net, and Shaw's just right there on top of the crease ready to go boop right in. This is frustrating. Uh, so no, not a whole lot of really positives or negatives taken out of the Boston game. I mean, they just Boston's a tough team. They're going to make you earn it. Second line looked great again. And then they play the Kings. Uh, for the week, just as kind of a stat line, the Johansson line had a total of one assist for James Neal, and that's it. Ugh. Not a good not a good week for the top line for whatever reason. Uh, not to say they didn't generate chances, not to say they were playing bad or anything, but they weren't able to pot anything home. And uh, I don't know if that what that's a, a product of. Probably uh, just ebbs and flows of a season. I mean, they. Yeah. I mean, st- historically, the past couple of weeks since Johansson has traded here, they've been one of the best lines on the team. Um, I mean. They're not going to do that every night. It's just, you know, in 50 games, you know, 40 games left, whenever it was that he got traded, that's just not going to happen. And, and, and you can't watch those games and watch jo- Johansson and not say he's the best forward in the team, hands down. Mm-hmm. Like, he just he just goes out there, he sees everything, he makes passes, he moves the puck like no predator can move the puck. Uh, and so I think it's just a artifact of the season yeah because I think I can't remember if it was the Bruins game or the LA game I think it was the LA game but I commented on Twitter that he had magnets in a stick because he every time you know he was slapping the puck down like out of midair to get possession of it he was doing crazy things puck handling and deking around defenders it's incredible I mean that's the same game I threw I threw out on Twitter as well as like we the Predators got him for just Jones like just Jones (laughs) and we got this guy Jones has been doing pretty good up in Columbus, but yeah, that's it's well. Still... I, I ultimately, like, hey, if you ask me to choose between a legitimate number one center and a top pairing defenseman, I'm gonna take the legitimate number one center every single time. I don't care who the defenseman is. I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, if it's Carlson, I might change my mind. Yeah. But, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a little caveat. Uh, Jonathan Quick was exceptional. There's no two ways about it. This is one of the best games Jonathan Quick's had since the turn of the calendar. I have to say, I was surprised how well the Kings played without Kopitar. Because Kopitar runs that team. I didn't think that they were going to be able to generate a ton without him, even with some of the pieces they have. With with Brown like busting heads out there and Carter you know, taking shots wherever he can. Uh, but Kopitar is, is the machine that runs that team. Without him, I thought they were going to be... Uh, kind of a really good opportunity for the Predators to jump in, and frankly, the Predators did not take advantage. Well, I'll, I'll disagree a little bit on that because at the very beginning of the game, the Kings looked a little bit lost without Kopitar. Now, as the game got a little bit farther into it, you know, the Kings started coming back, and it started to be a more even game, I think. Uh, but I mean, credit that to Jonathan Quick because at one point the shots were what, like eight to nothing in the first period or something like that, and Quick kept them in there. And then it was almost that same story that we see where it's. You know, it's one to nothing visiting team when Nashville has been outplaying them for the entire first period. You know what? There wasn't that feeling of, oh no, here we go. I mean, if if, if it was there, it only lasted for about a couple of minutes. Yeah, because they scored pretty much right after that. And I mean, I think we saw uh, just something 
felt different about that. But I mean, you still, you know, when they play out the first period like they did and then they get scored on first, it just brings back so many bad memories from this season. Uh, the game did end up going to overtime, but it should not have went to overtime. Uh, I made a comment last night that Craig Smith needs to watch a video of Mike Bossy's like greatest goals, and they're all just about the same. The guy just throws it on net. Now, someone uh, Bryant pointed out that Bossy scored a lot of goals when goaltending was terrible. There was no dispute about that. But you can also equate that to a time when Jonathan Quick is down and looking the other direction or the net is completely open. Just throw it on net, uh, Craig. The, yeah, the one... I, I'm going to really just hold him of, of the super close chances that he had. I'm going to hold uh, the one. There was one that was just terrible. I mean, there was nothing there and he just missed because the other one that I, it, when you watch the replays quick got a pad, actually got his leg extended and clipped it. Mm. And I mean, that was just incredible kind of reflex save from quick. Um, but yeah, that was that was after. The one where Smith just misses, like just flat out misses in the most embarrassing way possible. I don't know how he does that, if he just gets too excited or what, but he just misfires and who knows where the puck's going to end up. And the, and the amount of times that he's done that in his career is a little bit mind-boggling a little bit. Yeah, I, we all kind of laughed off the the uh, ceiling shot, the the empty net like roof roofed puck. But that seems to actually be something that happens to him more often than we might expect. At some point, I mean, you got to look at the guy's stick or something and just say, "All right, let's let's flatten this thing out." Mm-hmm. You know, it, I don't get it. <laughs> I, it's after at this point, how, after how many years? And he guy scores a you know twenty something goals a year. I mean, that's kind of who he is now. But it's just frustrating knowing that uh, you'd easily be a thirty a thirty goal scorer if he kind of mm-hmm. simplifies his shot. And maybe I mean, as good as the second line's been. As if you're gonna have a, if he's not gonna be on the top line because your top line's a legit top line, that's gonna open that's opened up a lot of chances for the second line here because that's I mean that's you can't have it's uh with the with the top line getting the top attention of guys like Chara, Seidenberg, Dowdy, Muzzin, Goligoski, Kleinberg. That's that's what part of the reason why this second line has such a good week. No, I, I think they also that second line also tends to tends to get to get to be out there with um Ellison Eckholm who are the best defensemen on the team when it comes to just making things happen. I mean, it is partially quality competition as well to a degree, but, I mean, you, you, those guys enable the forwards to, to do some crazy things. So I think that that helps, too, is that they get that deployment with those defensemen. So I was looking, I was looking at their numbers today, oh, and I yeah. got excited about all the home pairing. It's my favorite pairing. They're so good. So good. Speaking of, uh, one thing that did happen in the L.A. Kings game, Jackman ends up getting hurt. Yeah. That's so, not something that happens very often. No, because uh, he's made of a cheese byproduct from St. Louis, and he doesn't break. I was so proud of that joke. That was, <laughs> man. Do you see how many? It was a very good joke. I was so proud I, of that. I, I beat that thing into the ground. You too. did. I, so I like good. walked away from Twitter for a while and came back, and I'm like, wow, Dan went to town. Yeah, I did one, and then I just saw you take the ball and run with it. I was like, I'm just gonna let him do his thing. <laughs> I, we got a couple of Provel defenders on it too. <laughs> how anyone can be a Provel defender? I, I really want to see it. Do you guys remember seeing uh, Will It Blend? Yeah. Oh, I want to see a block of Provel in the Blendtec blender. I break the blender. I've never. Not only have I never had Provel cheese, of course, never. That means I've never had St. Louis style pizza. Which, as bad as it sounds, I still need to try it just for the experience. We should totally do it next time we go. Um, we should totally do that and go to go to Emos and uh, make it like a full day thing, like where we go to Emo, go just kind of just go on a St. Louis food adventure. Should I call the hospital ahead of time or do you want to? You're really funny, John. 
Because <laughs> you know, I, it was gastrointestinal. That was stuff, very yeah. insensitive. That was very insensitive, John. Sorry. No more donuts for you. No okay. more. <laughs> Overtime against the Kings was was awful. It was quick. It was you know, it didn't. The suspense was over pretty quickly. And what was your response as soon as the puck hit the net? Was it laughter? Mine was laughter. I'm sorry. I'm still trying to recover from from just the thought of it. I can just picture the the goal in my head, and it just makes me collapse into my microphone and just cry. Mine was bit. just mean spirited laughter. Like, <laughs> well, I I, I kind of knew it was gonna happen. So. It's an overtime, and maybe, but then I see them set up the same way, trying to trying to get like, okay, we're gonna set up our breakout play this way, and the Kings are sort of like, all right, we'll just hang out here, and then they come and they get the puck turned over, and the Kings just charge up the ice, and the Predators are like, oh no, kill the pe- penalty. It's like, what are you doing? I don't even think I had a reaction. I think it was just one of those stone cold face things because you're just are not surprised because I saw so many people on Twitter joking about that. I'd be like, well, this is another loss. Yeah, I was like, well, it, oh, you know what? Yes, yes, it is. There that's, was that's so right. much hope. They played so much better in overtime against the Stars, and the Stars are like the masters of three on three. I don't. I I honestly don't think they did. Um, I I think that the Predators have been in the eleven times they've played. Well, no. How many times did they go to the shootout? Uh, I've lost track. What? Nashville? Yeah. Three times. They've, so out of the 14 times they've been in overtime, then, because mm-hmm. they've had to go to three on three, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think they've looked like garbage in all of them. I, I don't th- I, I They just don't have any grasp on three on three, and the way they play it is the most passive way you could do approach three on three. Yeah. You want to know how to play three on three? They should, Lafayette should have the team watch footage of the All-Star game. Like, Play like that. Not that you have to play like all-stars, but play like you're having fun with the sport of hockey. Because if I remember correctly, I had to go back and watch the footage, but the game that they won was Carolina. Carolina. And I, w- I was at that game. And if I remember correctly, they spent most of it in, uh, or Carolina spent most of it shooting on uh, Rene. And then all of a sudden it went the other way, and then something happened. There was a crazy bounce, and they scored a goal, and no one could believe it. And, and but Coleman Forsberg had like one of the best embraces you, ever. Yeah. You, you want a, you want a fake stat? Sure. John Scott has more three on three goals than the National Predators this season. Wow! Wow! That's, that's a fi- that's a yeah. fake stat, but that's a, that's, that's real. A, that's the truth. Good fake stat. Great I really like stat. that a lot. Oh wow. I don't. I mean, you can find him on Twitter at 3D. We don't just show up. Just close up the show <laughs> yeah. at this point. Jeez. Um, but all your impressions of the week. I mean, they end up uh, just uh, some optimist points here. They've gotten points in their last five games. They got points in their last six out of their last seven. Um, there's definitely an uptick as far as the quality of how they're playing. I'm, I mean, typically they were losing these games in regulation for earlier this year. They would have lost all three of these games in regulation earlier this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if if you just break it down to the most simplest of terms, I mean, if you look at where they are in the standings, they're, uh, you know, they're aiming for that number one wild card spot. It's where they're going to end up. That's probably where they're going to be. Talk about, um, talk about resetting your expectations. Yeah, the wait, wait, exactly. That's a whole other discussion that we could get into. Who knows when? Uh, but I mean, they're playing to the tune of a first wildcard team where they're playing much better than we saw them before, which, you know, a couple of months ago, it looked like this wasn't even a playoff team. Or uh, even though that they were in a playoff spot, that was more from the start of the season that was keeping them there than anything else. Um, so I think that there are some good positives to take away from what they're doing. I mean, the quality of teams that they've played this week, and they hung with every single one of them, I think that's a good takeaway. 
Yeah. Even if we want to go back even further, the, the Lightning are looking really good right now. The Panthers also. Panthers look really good right now. And, I mean, it's a good test of the beginning part of this next week where they go to Eastern Canada and they play a Toronto team that, you know, they're chanting, let's go Flyers before the game begins. I think they're also chanting, let's go Marlies also. Yeah, and then you have the uh, then you have the Habs who are more like the have-nots right now. You've been storing that up all day, haven't Actually, you? no, I just thought about that. Oh, that's actually so pretty good. That's <laughs> actually pretty good. I, I made I made a clever. Uh, someone was talking about some trades or something. Um, oh, related to all the Subban hoopla, that that kind of BS. And somebody said, "Well, I mean, every team has its price." I'm like, except for the Habs, and no one thought it was funny because it really wasn't. That's was pretty funny. I, I thought I it was clever. It, yeah. I thought it was clever, and it it's took like about a one and a half seconds. I'm like, there you go. Because he was talking about the Canadians, so I'm like, it works. See, it's a. I like it. It's a. It's a joke, everybody. I get jokes. Since we don't have <laughs> as many questions from the comments section today, I'm just going to go and refresh it just to see if anything else popped in. No, only one. Comment section, you slacking. Is it a good? Is it a good question? Yeah, actually, it is. Uh, so we can spend some time with this. Okay. Uh, T. Bartz writes in, question for you guys: What should be done about the horrific three-on-three play? Way too many points are being left on the board in OT, and nothing has changed all season. Maybe a coaching change. Thanks for taking questions. Three on three. I'm okay with I'm okay with the premise of not. Um, he's asking about what to do about fixing three on three. I'm okay with the premise of uh, if the team has let's say if the team was solidly in a playoff spot and say they were one in six in overtime or one in seven in overtime, but they're solidly in a playoff spot. You wouldn't hear as many people grabbing about three on three. No, you you really wouldn't. But the reason they're grabbing about three on three is because they've dropped. 10 points. Yeah, if you yeah. play if you play with a slim margin of error like the Predators do, essentially they I mean because you know, if you're going to play you know, if you're not going to have the uh, the high-end offensive talent and you're going to you're going to try to, you know, defense teams to death, which we didn't think that was going to be the case this year because last year they were blowing teams out 4 to 2 and you know, and 3 to 1, that was consistent. They were win win 2, lose 1 every single week. This year it's not happening that way uh, for whatever reason. But if you play with a slim margin of error, you need to be prepared for overtime. And having said that, there's only a limited amount of time you can practice each week. And are you going to devote how much of that to three-on-three, a five-minute-long scenario? Mm. No, you're not. But at the same time, I think three-on-three is more of a philosophy than something you practice. I think you have to have a team philosophy for how you— Just call it a plan if you want to take it away from loose terms. The whole point of three-on-three is to prevent games from going to as many shootouts. So you decrease the number of players in the ice. You have a lot more space. You remove. You basically remove hitting and checking. So what you're left with are some great opportunities for rushes because three and three. It's still man. To, there's still one man to one man. It's not like you've got an advantage anywhere. You just have to use what you have. And some of the most dangerous scoring chances come off of rushes. Firing the puck on a, on the rush is a great way to score a goal. It's true in the entire world of hockey. So why the Predators seem totally unwilling to to t- to actually go on like a, a on-the-rush scoring chance? I don't even know what the right term for that is. Scoring uh, chance on the rush, uh, I guess. Ch- yeah, yeah it, I think that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I'll just, I'll try. You know, I'll just play for the rush. Going on here. I mean, breakaways equal yeah. goals. So you know, I, I get psychologically what the issue is. If you have three guys and you go for the rush and you turn the puck over, it bounces, or there's a large rebound, you give the other team, they can go the other way. That's the risk. Problem is, the Predators, what, what they've been experiencing is that they try to set up a fancy play in the zone, 
the other team turns over the puck because it's still one-to-one coverage, and then all of a sudden they're just rushing up the ice, and the Predators are still behind. So they're still not up there, and then the other team gets that rushing scoring chance. That shouldn't be the problem with this roster because, unlike a lot of teams, almost the entire defense can skate. Everybody can skate. Weber can skate. Bear Jackman can skate pretty well. He's at least smart positionally wise. You have a you have a, a a crew of forwards that can all skate, including Ribeiro when he's motivated enough to skate. Johansson can skate. Neil's a bastard out there on skates. He can really skate. Yarncroke, Forsberg, they're all they all can skate with anybody in the league. I don't understand the the whole concept of treating it like a power play and not playing for the rest like right, what you're saying. Right, right. That's that's the key thing. You say treating it like a power play, which means. One thing the Predators love to do, what a lot of teams throughout the league do in the power play, is they set up in the zone and they they use puck movement to pinch in on the goaltender and, dec- and get to really scary scoring areas and really condense the other teams. You can get you can pass around them. The issue is is that if that doesn't go entirely correctly and you don't really have a man advantage like you win the power play to really form that net, it just doesn't work. And you spend a lot of time. For not a lot of results, because as you said, you've got five minutes to get this done in. If you turn the puck over, the other team is going to skate up the ice, and you have tried to tighten a net, and all of a sudden your defensemen, who should be able to skate, are now chasing because they've they've been pinching deeper and deeper as you cycle the puck around. And another symptom that wears on them, and I use this term literally, is that they pretty much just cut their roster in half in three-on-three. They're using the same, like, six seven eight guys out there and i mean it's it's taxing to do that you're gonna get tired if you're out there for you know 45 seconds 50 seconds a minute at a time for three on three when it's nothing but go 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 you're gonna be tired by the time you get to the bench and then you have to get back out there you know 30 40 seconds later Rob, a really good point on this was actually Austin Watson's mom on Twitter. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, because she and what she said for uh people that didn't see it i don't think we retweeted it or anything like that but she said hey the AHL guys who were there last year have a lot of experience with three-on-three. Why not put them out there? You know, your your Watsons, your Salamakis, your Arvidsons. Get them out there and see what happens. Because I don't know. I, I'd have to look, but I don't think I remember any of them playing a minute of three-on-three. I, I think, man, I, I can't help but think Salamaki, who, as I've often described, is a Bork who can't score, I think would actually be more threatening in three-on-three. And Arvidsson? I mean, he's just going to be like, he's actually going to do what I'd like to see the team do, which is just rush the net and shoot the puck. <laughs> He'll actually do that. You can't Victor stop him. shot on goal, Arvidsson. That's a great nickname. Yeah. Um, I wonder who came up with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, I think that I think there's there's a lot of sense there. Uh, I'm actually, you know, being who I I am, and and you can go back through the archives, listen to all the times I've said this. I, I'm I'm not super excited about how they've been deploying Austin Watson, how Laviolette's been deploying him. I think he's he's so limited by the line he has to play on. The I think it was the I think it was the the King game, Kings game on Saturday, where Watson has is in the middle is in the neutral zone center ice or in the center horizontally and in the neutral zone mm-hmm. has a straight shot. And Gossett has the puck. Very little pressure. There's some pre- there's a, there's some pressure, but very little. Gossett, instead of just doing a straight pass up the ice to Watson, who would then have a breakout, he just Gossett just gently lobs the puck into the neutral zone, right to a Kings player, which tends to be, tends to happen because when you lob it out, it's, it's very easy to predict where it's going to land. And the other team's going to recover. It just gives you a bit of a breather. So it's a it's a fine smart hockey play. 
unless you've got another player standing all alone with some speed, just a little bit of speed, who can turn around and go, th there is a far better option, and Gossett just doesn't see it. So you've got a, a guy like Austin Watson who's got some good hockey sense, who can be where he needs to be, who had, had was in a fantastic position that was not endangering the team, and he just does not have linemates who have that kind of mentality to, to engage him. And I agree uh, pretty much 100% with what you're saying. The problem there is that where else is Austin Watson going to play? And I think that that's just going to be something that we will see next year when Gostad's gone, when Sissons things are happening. Yeah, position. exactly. But yeah. uh, I, I, I would like to see Austin Watson next to Mike Fisher and Colin Wilson. I, I love Victor Arvidsson. I'd like to find another place for Victor Arvidsson, frankly. Is that, is that the old chin line? <laughs> that would be a hell of a chin line. That's the chin line. But. Wilson um, Wilson draws a lot of attention. Watson can draw a lot of attention if he's on a line that's actually skating with him. For a big guy, Austin Watson can skate very well. Yeah. And uh, he's been he's been better than I expected, really. I, but I feel the same way that you do, is that he's, he's almost like he's being shackled with the line that he has. It was even worse when he was with Nystrom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nystrom is, is just a pit. Um, no. Gostad, Gostad has been playing better now that he does have line mates that are, that are skating better, and that fourth line has been a bit more effective. But he's still an anchor. But he's still, yeah, he's still yeah, Paul I, Gostad. I, yeah, I, I think if you can, I'd like to, to see Bork step in for Salamaki in that role, in that, in that left wing. I'd like to see how the line performs then, and then I would love to see an opportunity for a Bork, Sissons, uh, Watson line. Just to see what that can bring. It's, I mean, we saw that uh, earlier this year, didn't we, against Ottawa? I believe so. Well, I, did we? Yeah, it was either it was either Bork that was or sorry, that was that had to have been long enough ago where yeah, I forgot. No, it was a while ago. It was either that or it was like uh, uh, it was, Salamaki, Bork, and Sissons. I don't or think Watson like was up yet no, before Sisson, Bork got hit. Sissons was definitely Hurt. centering that line. It mm -hmm. was um, that was the most inspired hockey we saw all year. This but, is like the but, fifth I mean, time we're it, mentioning it, it, it because we haven't seen anything since then that's been better well, than that stretch. That that fourth line that that I named with Sissons and and Bork and Watson, that is. Historically, that would have been like a easily been a Predators like second line on some nights. Uh, that is a talented bunch of guys who can play a lot of different roles in the team, but they're playing in fourth line minutes because we've seen Bork go everywhere from second line to, to fourth, and he's been fine. It's very successful in all those positions. Watson has a lot of diversity as well. I think he's capable of more than what we've seen based on, on his deployment and his line mates. And then we all know that Sissons is. Is, is really just effective out there and making things happen. Maybe not points, but making things happen, he gets it done. Well, and that you said it because on a fourth line like that maybe wouldn't score a whole lot, but they would at least get the puck deep into the zone. They'd cycle, they'd wear out the other team, and then they would open those minutes up for the top two, three lines. And that's really what you want your fourth line to do. If yeah. they can go score a couple more goals, fantastic. But I, you really want them to wear down the opposition. I, mean, I could see that that fourth line putting up 30 goals without too much difficulty. Oh, but, but, so I could bring it back to three on three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about that, weren't we? Yeah, bring it back to three on three. Watson, I think, well, I was going to mention that Watson looks like, almost like a player who's almost built for three on three. It's a bigger guy that can skate. He can cover a lot of ground. He can he can do a lot of things with it. But also, he just draws so much attention to himself. And that's what you want in three on three. If you're going to try to play for mismatches, if you're going to try to play for rushes, he's a guy that can quote get the puck. And he's got chances are he's only going to be playing 12 minutes a night anyway, so he should be fresh for three on three. Just something yeah, I want to see. Actually, you know, I, that's kind of a, one of those subtle arguments that, that I think is good to throw out there. And that if you have guys who are capable of playing in, in an open style. 
who have played a smaller number of minutes, a fewer number of minutes, why not put them out there against maybe some more tired guys from the other against, from the opposition if they're going to play some some guys who have been playing you know twenty minutes or something like that. Yeah, I think it's just Laviolette being, you know, that old school hockey coach that we talk about so much. I mean, this is a guy that had Kevin Fiala play 12 minutes in a playoff game in 3 OT. I was and about that, to mention that exact. Yeah, you know. and that did not even put him out there, which yeah, I understand that. And we've talked about this to death where, you know, he's a rookie. He's only played like two, three NHL games tops. Maybe he makes a turnover. But, I mean, that that's a risk that you're going to have to make. And he's an agent of chaos. He would have been great to see out there. Yeah, yeah. So make turnovers. Guys. Subban and Carlson, they make turnovers too. Yeah, they well, they make, make turno- turnovers. turnovers because they have to puck a lot. Stop it. Stop making sense. <laughs> All right. Um, one last question before we go to break. Um, after what you've seen this week, should the Predators look at a 60-40 split, more of a more of a 2-1 to one split, or a what kind of goaltending split should we look at between Rene and Hutton? I, I liked what John was talking about earlier. Um, I, he was saying like 2-1. Two, two and one. Yeah, um, every I, third I think, game. Yeah, every third game. I think that's, I think that's a fine setup. Uh, you know what? I'd even take 3-1. and one. Yeah. So, so I every, think that every like like Rene three Hutton one just because I think Rene's gonna want to play a bunch and you have to kind of listen to your goaltender and and play him when he wants to be played but you also have to temper that and say we need you to be fresh yeah but, I think yeah. I think that's the the limit there I, I would agree I, but I would like if Hutton got one start every week at least and I know that this week they play four games but most of the week you know they do it Tuesday Thursday Saturday type of thing if he gets any one of those starts in a week from here to the rest of the season I think that that's a, a very good split yeah it's 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 still tough to call because Rene has looked uh pretty good through the course of this week I mean you need to see we need to see it repeatedly and uh I don't know how much you can count the first half of this upcoming week with uh, the back-to-back uh, Canadian disasters coming around, but we'll, we'll have, just have to see with that one. Yeah, yeah. There should there should be a couple of games where they should be able to win the goaltending battle right there. But stranger things have happened. All right. Well, we're going to cut back on the other side of the break. We've got some NHL news. We've got five tough questions and an avalanche of questions from you people on Twitter. Is that a foreshadowing? I don't know. No, I had to tune in to find out. Listen to the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current in latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lion Zone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. So we had a discussion. Um, blueberry cake donuts. I'm a fan. You're a fan. I named them as as one of my favorites. Your so favorite, yeah. yeah. We're all we're all in a quarter blueberry, blueberry cake. Um, how do we feel about red velvet? I 
Red Velvet is, of course, as it's, as is, unfortunately, is not widely enough known. He's like a lie. Um, Red Velvet as a as a cake and as an icing combination, I think is great. Mm-hmm. I just hate all the red food coloring. Yes. Um, if you've ever had red velvet without the food coloring, it's the exact same, except you don't think you have colon cancer afterwards. You know, and I actually don't, I'm not a fan of red velvet things outside of the cake. Like, I love the cake. It's probably one of my favorite cakes. But anytime that they try and recreate the red velvet in anything else, well, it doesn't it's really just, appeal to me. It's cocoa and, and, and food coloring. I mean, that's, and then cream cheese icing. That's all red velvet is. Mm-hmm. Does not need the food coloring. That's that's the tip of the day. On that note, um, Sorry, I get mad about that. No, no, you're, you're right. I, I was you put it in better words than I could have because I was going to get ready to go on a spiel and run red velvet donuts. But man, you kind of nailed out of the park on that one. We had Twitter questions coming in before we even announced we were recording tonight. So good audience. It's like everyone knows that we record on Sundays. The audience is finally being trained. We we like that. Rachel Freeman writes in. This is a fun one. Uh, who is your dream team to put? Or who is your dream to put on the ice during three on three? She wants Arvidsson, Selamaki, and Ellis. That would be fun. Mm. Who would you put on the ice for three on three? Uh, like? Mid eighties Wayne Gretzky, Phil Housley in his prime, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because it'd be fun. I have a I have a, a, a suspicion that none of those guys are currently uh, predators right now. So of the current roster, who would you put on the ice? Oh, interesting. Um, that really narrows it down. Yeah. I was uh, Johansson, Arvidsson, and Ellis. I would probably say... Johansson. I, I would probably say Johansson, Neil, and Yossi. Johansson, Neil, and Yossi, we, I think we have, we've had to have seen that at some point, right? I believe so. Granted, the other thing I'd like to see is a competent three-on-three strategy or plan or something like that, which would help. Uh, I think. For for the remaining players that are still back, I'll I'll take Ellis Watson just because I mentioned him and it, it'd be fun. And uh, what the hell, Smith? Just because I know he'll at least shoot it. I don't know if it's going to go in. It probably won't, but whatever. Uh, let's what else? Who's next? That's a really cool shirt. Thank you. It's one of my favorites. Is that the Clue one? Yeah, it is the Clue one. Nice. It took me a second. I was like plum yeah. white and mud. Oh, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Joe Welsh writes in, any chance the Predators trade Colin Wilson? Yeah, let's go, uh, let's go percentage-wise on this. interesting. See, I don't even know if I want to go percentage-wise because I think it's a really interesting question because the reason we'd even, uh, as a fan base, be interested in trading a player is because we don't think he's performing well. So there's the question of, does the organization, does Laviolette, do the Predators think he's performing his job? Um, two, if he's not performing well, if that's something the fan base and the team agrees on, is he not performing well because of the situation? Because he's been pushed out of the top, you know, he's been pushed down the, the roster. Is he just not performing well because he's got a history of being wildly inconsistent from season to season? What we don't know what the deal is because if the team is going to trade him because it's performance, then who's going to really want him? Because he's got nothing but a history of inconsistency. So if he is tradable, I support trading him. Uh, but I question if he's even really a tradable asset, unless you're sending him to a team that is just trying to offload for the future. Uh, you know, maybe I, I honestly wonder if Toronto might be a really good trade partner because they're just trying to offload assets. Um, but you're gonna have to take on some. You're gonna have to take some. You're gonna take a player back, and you're not gonna get picks back from them. No, and it's gonna be a sort so-so player. Uh, so that might that that's kind of the sort of thing I would see if they trade him. It's going to be for 
either a guy who's going to go straight to the AHL or something that's going to be maybe like a bottom six player and a guy and like a, maybe a middling prospect or something like that. I just there's not a lot of excitement where I can speculate too much. Well, I also have a hard time believing that it'd be, you know, he'd be the centerpiece in that trade just because of what you were what you were talking about. Outside of outside of Nashville, if you if if I just put my okay, I'm I'm just a Flyers fan. And I see news that the Predators traded Carl Wilson. My response would be, um, wasn't he the guy who was good friends with, J- with like best buds with JVR? Isn't that isn't that the guy? It's not like not only this would come off. This would be a minor hockey trade, like one of those that pops up on the wire. Like, oh, okay. I think some of the problems is his name is Colin Wilson. I mean, it's remember the over the, the off season, the Bruins and the uh, Panthers swap players. I think it was uh, Hayes for Smith. Mm-hmm. They, they just sound like all the college hockey players all sound the same, except for guys like Shane Gostisbehere, who you know, is a college hockey player doesn't sound like a college hockey player though. Goes number number one, Ghost Bear, Ghost Bear, Ghost Bear, number one so, right here in my heart. So real quick, uh, percentage wise, what are the chances they actually do this? Thirty percent, thirty. I even I'd, I'd go slightly below that twenty five. Yeah, I'll go with like I'll, I'll go at like fifteen. Frank the Tank writes in: uh, Are the Preds going to quote go for it and make a big trade? You mean like they the, already did? Frank, I want to I want to tell you something very important. The Poyle traded uh, Seth Jones, former number one draft pick Seth Jones, for uh, Ryan Johansson, who is an elite center who was underperforming in, in in Columbus. This was several weeks ago. Um, if you if you just find this out now, celebrate. It's a good thing. When you when someone says though they're going to go for it, they're referring to making like kind of like a um, like an all in move at the deadline. Do you see the Predators making an all-in move at the deadline this year? All-in what? I don't yeah, understand. I, I, People say all-in. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't think that there's anyone other than maybe like Andrew Ladd. I don't think that there's anyone that they could be like, we're going to have a lot of, we're going to throw in all these pieces yeah, but, for this person. Yeah, I mean, to, to pull in an all-in type asset, since they already acquired one using a very big piece, they're just going to have to clean the cupboard. And the cupboard is full of some very interesting good pieces that are still developing. So I don't, I, I think the Predators are—they already did that. They already did their all-in type thing, and granted, it's good because the all-in thing is going to last them for several years. So it's—it's mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we're all in, which is great because the team ha- is is just improving and they're getting better pieces, better options. Uh, but the whole concept of they need to make a big move or any sort of move for the deadline—what are they going to do? I mean, they've got way too many defensemen right now. Even with with Jackman Hurt, they've got way too many defensemen. They have to figure out what to do with those. There's no need to shake up the bottom six unless you can get rid. I mean, Nystrom is on long-term injury, so you can't really do anything with him. He's he's set secure. Mm-hmm. Can you even move Gostad for what he brings and how much he makes in dollars? They can't really. He's not really a super movable asset, so you can't do a whole lot to improve your bottom six. That doesn't involve just benching a guy and bringing someone up from the AHL. It just doesn't make any sense unless someone is like. Oh, this is this is the Canadians. We want to trade you Subban for for like I don't know uh, some Hattie B's and you're like okay yeah sure we'll do that. But nothing else really or like Weber like we'll just do a, we'll do a straight swap of Subban for Weber. Like yes, I mean unless something really ridiculous like that and un- unbelievable like that happens, there's nothing to go all in on. They're already all in. Yeah, and it's I mean there's no big trade for them to make because no one's going to be making big trades at the deadline I mean, they're not going to get like a Ryan Ryan Nugent Hopkins or anything like that I mean the most that they could do like I could still see David Poyle wanting to bring someone in even though he's like very much flip-flopped back on what he's been saying over the course of the last couple of weeks but you know I laid out 
who is available that would make uh, even just like the little bit of sense for the predators and the names that are available don't really help the predators that much i mean yes they would probably be better than what they are right now but for uh essentially what you most likely have to give up for them is one of those players going to take you over the hump is it going to win you a playoff round or a two playoff rounds and the answer is no no one that they can bring in is going to help them get over that hump that question made me feisty dan no it was a good question um I mean, so I'm um, just to kind of, kind of capitalize this before we move on to the next one because I realize we already answered one of the next ones. Um, what about what about saying like the upgrade an asset like they upgrade a Ribeiro? All personal feelings aside, they upgrade Ribeiro for an Eric Stahl. How big of a difference would that make? I, I, I it's hard to say. Yeah. They're very different players. Yeah, they're it's completely different players. They're, they're totally different players. That and Stahl has been kind of all over the map this this year. Yeah, I, I, the one thing you can say for Ribeiro is that he has been a consistent assist contributor. Like he's He sets up a lot of plays and makes things happen. As frustrating as he can be sometimes, he does set up does a lot Forsberg of plays. Does Forsberg need that? Can he create enough offense on his own as long as, there's some, as long as there's enough assets on the ice to draw attention where he has the space to do so? Hmm. I mean, I think that he still needs... Uh, talented playmaking center like I mean I think that Forsberg on his own yes could probably score his fair share of independent goals without um, you know superstar center playing on his line but at the same time that's what they're there for to help open the ice for him yeah all right just a thought we'll keep going on keep moving forward because we got some other stuff we got a lot to get to uh, Stephen Lowry wrote in uh, about three on three what are observation of what's going wrong we touched on that a little bit earlier, saying that the, it's more about the mindset of a penalty kill, mm-hmm. power play mindset. Kevin Harris writes in, am I insane upon my belief that this team will be better in the playoffs than in the season or just just for the normal reason? Essentially, what he's saying is that this team is more built for the playoffs than it is for a regular than for the regular season, which I could buy that. I think they're structured kind of like a like more of a, a traditional East, uh, East Coast playoff team, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Maybe the the Maybe Laviolette and Poiler are following the tried-and-true Blackhawks method of making the playoffs. You do well enough to make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now we're going to play how we actually want to play hockey, and then just destroy everybody. Maybe that. Maybe they're doing that approach. I mean, I could—I don't think so, um, but I, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, I think the some of the underlying numbers we look at may point to that, but at the same time, that's how they do in the playoffs is going to be very dependent on which Rene comes out during that time. If we see the Rene from last year's playoffs, it's not going to end very well. Uh, but if we see the Rene that, you know, got uh, the Vezina nominee three times and uh, has played up to what he can do, I think that'll help. Um, and I think for me, Kevin, you can hold on to that all you want. I'm still going to watch and see what's going on because from what we've seen over the past four five weeks it's something different just about every week and i don't know which one is the correct one to to bank on right now i believe actually that uh if anything this team is is more built for the playoffs for this one reason right here alone i mean there's some other reasons as well that they have the structure of a playoff team they're more built they're built more like a traditional cup contender team even though they're not playing like it they're at least built like it but we do not see the intensity that we saw last year that last year that team peaked way too early from just a psychology standpoint, 
that at some point this team is going to turn it on. They have to. I mean, look, when there's no way that, that a coach like Laviolette is going to just not get that kind of intensity out of his players with that with everything on the line later on this year. So this team hasn't peaked yet. When If they are playing at their normal intense self that we saw last year, let's say around December, when they were just mowing people down in January, we were, and when Laviolette was mouthing off to the official, walking off the ice in Montreal. You guys remember that, right? Yeah. That was kind of the apex of the season last year. Between that and the and the game against Washington, um, we haven't seen that this year. But I also have a hard time believing, considering the struggles that they've gone through this season, that they haven't been like, oh, you know what? We should actually start getting intense and start playing now. I mean, I, I understand that it doesn't really... Uh, mean a whole lot in the regular season as long as you get on the playoffs but I still think that you know they've got had plenty of chances to go hey we're not playing as well as it should be we should start playing better maybe the team is walking the ultimate tightrope and saying we want no spot but the first wild card spot because we want to be in that Pacific bracket and and we will we will do what we can. And people people will doubt us, and we, we may fail, but we will go for. I mean, we are targeting the least desirable thing in the world. When was the last time that Peter Laviolette called a timeout this year because the team wasn't playing up to his liking? Well, I think the coach's challenge is affecting that quite this a bit. This is true. Ding, ding 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 ding. This is true. Yeah, I think that's very skewed because even watching a whole lot of games, they're. I mean, the amount of timeouts called for bad play has gone way down this year. But you saw that last year. I mean, you would think that. Just if it was if it meant enough, you know, if you're not going to play by that thin margin of error. Last year we saw it so many times. First period, well, the team's not doing what they need to do. Calls timeout, choose everybody out. They go on to win four to two. I, I think th- one thing that I would wonder is with that is those sort of play things which he did in Philadelphia, which he did in Carolina, may have a they have a limited shelf life. And I think that's one reason why Laviolette has a history of having a limited shelf life is because if, he, if that's how he always is going to fix things, it's going to stop working. Um, so if the coach's challenge is restricting him from doing that as readily, maybe there's an advantage there. Maybe that says that, that you know there's an issue with the coach's challenge and that it's affecting how the timeouts are used. They're not being used to, to, to you know, fix maybe, the, like, coach the team. Maybe Laviolette has become self-aware when he realizes that, hey, I do have a short shelf life in these places. I should probably tone it back a little bit and only scream at certain times. That's a thought. It's possible. Uh, I am Lord Stanley One uh, writes in, uh, explain Hutton's play this year. He's in the right place at the right time. He's not doing to do too much, and uh, the team in front of him is doing a really good job of limiting opportunities, whereas the other goaltender is trying way too hard to make saves and putting himself out of position and leaving, you know. It, not wait, is that your answer? You That's read my answer. It? Oh, that was well rehearsed. Yeah, I thought that he was reading that. No, yeah, that, that was, was well, that was well uh, run off. Yeah, anything else to I, add to that? I, I just think, you know, we haven't. If you if you look at it, his stats pop up, and they're ridiculous. And then you look mm. at the number of games he's played, and you're like, oh. That's why. So many seasons, it's been Rene gets hurt, and then Hutton has to play a pile of games, and his numbers project to where his career numbers are. Um, best case scenario, he's having an out of character season that is well above his his career norm, in which is great for him. But I, I I still think a guy whose numbers are always about the same every single year at every level of hockey probably going to stay that way given enough sample size. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was my big point too. Is just the number of games that he's played is not 
It's like five. Yeah. Well, he's played ten. He's played ten games. It feels like feels like, feel like ten. Well, he so and I think we mentioned this last year, but when he got the start in Florida, that was his ninth start in fifty six games. Which I mean, unacceptable. It's, yeah, I mean that's terrible. But at the, so at the same time, it's everything spread out, so you can't really get a grasp on what he's doing because to his credit he's played very well when he's been called upon if anything that makes it more impressive because he's not able to get into yeah. any kind of rhythm I, I do think he's uh, and I do agree he's looked he seems to just generally look better than he did last year uh, in the year before then or, or any other time uh, so he's got that going for him but just you, it kind of goes against the body of evidence and, yeah. and at this point I don't think he's exactly developing as a goaltender very much and, and Les Vanderklok is suddenly like broken through some kind of psychological barrier in his head and turned him into some sort of like Pavlovian goaltender well, who responds or, to bells like ring a bell make a save and just does that well that or unless he's like developing like a goaltender version of Joel Ward where he hits 29 years old and then all of a sudden he oh. hits his apex and starts to, I mean Joel Ward's turning 36 this year I think and he's still putting up crazy amounts of points better than he did when he was 32 so hopefully someone will see that and sign him to a crazy contract and get him out of well, it's Nashville. Those, it's those college-educated uh, Canadian goaltenders is what, or Canadian players is what you want. Yeah, They are few and far between. They really are. John Smith writes in, If we miss the playoffs based on overtime record, which Lavi refuses to practice, could he be showed the door for not trying to fix it? Now, I think there's been some uh, time spent refuting the idea they don't work on that at all. Uh, we only have some very brief quotes on it, but because uh, I think they said they were what, taking a look, they look at it all the time, or they something. I don't. They do video sessions or I, something I, like that. Yeah, they do something with it. And again, you know, like like I was talking about earlier, I don't really see three on three to be something you practice. It's more of a mindset and a philosophy. And so I, I think it comes down to that: is that the philosophy has not adapted to to the style it's being played. And. And I'm I'm still I'm intrigued. One of the most interesting things about the Predators current right now is how Poyle handles the second coach in, in national history. Does he last two seasons, three seasons, four? I mean, how long does he stay in the city? How does that how is that handled now that you sort of broken the dam? I'm very curious. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that other than I don't know if it's if he would be fired just because of an overtime record. I have a really hard Doubt time it. seeing yeah. that. Um, I think the questions need to be asked is, well, how come the games are in question so much that you're going into overtime? Or let, let's look at the losses that piled up. Um, I, Which Laviolette should probably just say, well, because the goaltender we're paying $7 million a year for didn't make the stops. That, and he didn't have a number one center for half of the season. And um, he had to play Nystrom and Goss that whole bunch. Exactly. So, I I mean, the, unless... The, these are all pre-Laviolette uh, things. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things in this team that are pre-Laviolette. So, I... There's this. Here's an idea. 2016-2017 National Predators is going to be the first team that is really representative of Laviolette's vision for the team. I'm okay with that. Judge him on that. Yeah, I, I don't see him it's losing like a, his job. This is like this college season. football. He got to get yeah. his players in there. Well, no, it's true. I mean, <laughs> you're right. Though. I, I'm going to throw an example that maybe four of our listeners will be able to, to uh, get and and follow. Just because it's it's. I mean, if I look at, at the team, I, soccer team I cheer for, Tottenham Hotspur, it took. Several years for the current coach, uh, Mauricio Pochettino, to get his style player in because he plays a hard press, high energy, uh, entirely team based game where everyone plays together. Everyone's responsible. If one person fails, the whole team is going to fail type type gameplay. And it took him 
a while to just get out the last guy's people and get just his personnel and get his guys identified and get them in the system and get everyone to learn this. And it was very difficult. And it wasn't until this season that they really were actually playing the Pochettino style. And yeah. it's been incredibly effective. Yeah, football, I mean, American football is the same way where a coach has to have his his personnel on defense or his offensive system in. So people should people yeah. should at least relate to that. Where we had a lot of the Trotzian guys like your your Gostads, your Nystroms. They like were even drafting Trotzian players like your I mean we like them, but Sissons and Watsons are like Apex Barry Trots, you know, first and second round picks. So there's a lot of truth to that. Where are we at with this? Let's see. Um, Mark Carson Harrison writes in, just go to Colin Wilson's Warren, H- Warren Ice page and ask why and how. Well, we've been why and how what? Why why is he on the team and how is he getting paid so much? Is that I don't know what the why and how is because I'm just guessing there. Barrett Meeks writes in, uh, what is your perfect chicken salad sandwich? Uh, lettuce and tomato on white, cranberry and pecans on sourdough, bacon. I'm not a chicken salad fan. Uh, I, I can be pretty selective. The only chicken salad with any regularity are the chicken salads from Fat Bites, um, which are just a whole level above. They have a they have a, a Asian chicken salad that's got grapes and like walnuts and stuff in it. It's not walnuts, um, cashews that mm. are super super good. I like their um, they have a Southwest chicken salad that's that's really excellent. They just changed the recipe on it, which I think has been eh, pretty good overall. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, if you take the like a, ch- a chicken salad with some grapes in it and a little bit of nuts and add in uh, balsamic vinegar, like a reduction of balsamic vinegar, um, granola, my sunflower ch- seeds. My chicken salad go. starts and ends with dill. If you put some dill in there, that's all I need. I'm not a big chicken salad fan either. Well, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I like chicken salad, but it's just not <laughs> you a... Don't, you don't need to be like a, one or the no. other. You can you can just be yeah. like, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's fine. No, I'm not a fan. It's... Kind of seems a little gross to me. Brandon Felder writes in, let's say the Predators do make the playoffs. What's a realistic expectation for how far they can go? Hi, Brandon. It's To me, it's about matchups. I think uh, it's, yeah. it's all about how they match up. I think that they match up great with the Sharks. I think they match up. I mean, if you can get the Sharks in the first round, you tank a couple of games to make sure you can play the Sharks in the first round because yeah. they match up great with the Sharks. They match up okay with the Stars. Chicago looks like it's going to be a murder-death kill. Yeah. Um, St. Louis, same way, just because how St. Louis plays. Ducks are an anomaly right now yeah, because, they. The yeah, you never know. I, I think, yeah, there's, there's each of the matches brings something really different. I think the Blues matchup would be boring, and I would hate it. The Stars matchup would be hilarious, and I'd love it no matter what. Uh Blackhawks would just be terrifying. Um, so Sharks, I think, would be is a good matchup. I don't even remember who third in the Pacific is right it's now. It's the Sharks, the Ducks, and the Kings. The right Ducks, now. okay, the yeah. Ducks. Yeah, the ne- yeah. I think the Kings. That would be a for the players on both sides a really physically and like mentally taxing series. That'd be a hell of a first round I mean, series. I, cr- I mean, that would be a grunt. You may you you may not see a lot of goals scored in that series, but man, you're just going to see like some some classic hockey. That's the one I think would be the best television. That would be that would probably be some great television. Uh, but to, I guess put an answer to that question, um, depending on the matchup, I could see them winning around. I have a hard time the way that they've been playing and the way that they're construction constructed, seeing them win a, a, a second round. Yeah, I mean their their best bet is to secure that first wild card spot and go into the Pacific bracket. I think if they do, if they manage that, then the Predators have a chance throughout the second round and maybe even a little bit further. Mm-hmm. If they if they end up in the cent- in the Central Division bracket, 
I think it's going to be pretty tough to, to get much of anything done. The Stars? Do you think they match up okay with the Stars? I no. could I could see a seven game series where it kind of goes either way, but again, just I I don't have much confidence in the Stars back end and their goaltending, but I could well, see them winning around just on the way that they play alone. The thing with the Stars and the thing with playoff hockey is everyone plays so much more conservative in the playoffs. Everyone pulls their everyone pulls their team further back. What are the Stars going to do because their regular season style is the exact opposite of that? Mm-hmm. I think they're going to keep doing that. With I, one, even I, Lindy Ruff, who's like who's an old school. Well, he doesn't have the pieces. He, I think Lindy Ruff is a smart enough coach and a good enough coach to recognize that he does not have the personnel to play that game. If he plays that game, he is limiting his team from doing what they're good at, and he's putting the team in a position to do what they're bad at. If he, if that's his decision, he's just a he's a bad playoff coach. I mean, that's a way to get fired right there. Um, and if everyone else is sitting back, if the tendencies to sit back. You can catch someone off guard by just attacking, and Niemi is a good enough goaltender to to get you through the playoffs. He's demonstrated that yeah, he's and, done it before. He's done it before. Five I mean, and granted, he played with the Sharks, which is a team that's cursed to to just suffer. Um, so you know, he didn't get he hasn't gotten that opportunity. But Dallas is a great chance for him to to prove that he you know he can he can be a reliable backstopper, which he's done. Uh, Niemi's uh, goals against or save percentage in the playoffs is a .907. He had a um, yeah. Well, I, how how much uh, is that? What is the what is the actually? I'm curious. What is like the average save percentage in the playoffs over the past like just year to year? I'm because I wonder if I've never looked to see if it's substantially different than a regular season. Yeah, but you also have to remember how because um, he was a net when the Hawks won the cup in 2010. Yeah, save percentage right? was around like uh, 91. He had a better save percentage the next year with the Sharks when they went on a pretty good run. Okay, yeah, because I was thinking because that that final with the, that first game in there where it was like a six to five game or something like that. That yeah, because yeah, I imagine numbers are kind of funky. Real quick, uh, who best uh, who is the all time leader in save percentage for goalies in the playoffs? Braden Holpe. Tim Thomas. Holpe. Oh, Tim, you're three thousandths of a point off, but separate Braden Holpe, Craig Anderson, and Tim Thomas. After that, it's, wow, Jonas Hiller, Tuka Rask. Vokun is number six. For Vokun, I guess. Tom, Tomas Vokun is number six, the good old dead puck era. Um, let's see who are further down the list here. Yeah, Johnny Quick's at 92%, by the way. Tim Thomas. <laughs> what a weird career from that guy. Yeah. Rachel Freeman writes in, uh, should we take all fours to a punk show and then throw them in circles and tell them to stand their ground? I feel like this would help them learn in front, learn to stand in front of the opposing goalie. Well, it's not going to really work in Nashville because the pits are really nothing exciting in Nashville. Um, so I'm not sure. You may have to drive down to Atlanta for that at best or somewhere else. Mm, I went to uh, Lamb of God and Anthrax, and it was well, incredible. Well, punk shows. So. Oh, punk shows, yeah. I've been a little I, well, And I'm not speaking for everything. I was just saying that one specific pit was incredible. Hey, do you, I don't know if it, I don't know if you if you've maybe noticed this, John, but it seems like a lot of the nasty touring punk bands aren't going to the Exit Inn anymore. They're going to the High Watt, which I found to be very interesting. They've made that shift. Oh, yeah. All the bands that are coming through, that I really would want to see. They're mostly going to the High Watt now. High Watt's a cool venue. It's nice I haven't and small. actually been yet. So, have you been in the Mercy Lounge? Oh yeah, it, I it love looks, Mercy it Lounge. It looks exactly like the Mercy I Lounge, except Mercy smaller. Lounge. I've seen Lucero and Against Me at Mercy Lounge. Ooh, it's not the same time, different yeah. shows. But so it's if awesome. you can just imagine, instead of the stage being on like the right wall, it's on the left wall and then smaller. Huh. Interesting. Is it b- smaller than the end? 
Um, it's a little bit bigger than the end because okay. I don't think you can get much smaller than the end. <laughs> it's pretty small. Uh, let's see. Jacob uh, Siebert writes in: If the Preds do not sign Jimmy VZ, what are the chances David Poyle goes after Bodker or another winger during free agency? Let's give Link a second. Let's do. I'll answer this. Well, I mean, I guess it. A normal chance. I mean, I think that they're going to try and get some spots for some free agents this year anyway. But Bodker is going to be someone that a lot of teams are going after. Um, and we have to remember, you know, Forsberg's got to get his contract. They've got to bank some money for uh, Johansson uh, when his contract is up at the end of the next year. Uh, so, I mean, I've got a nice paycheck coming his way. He does. Um, so, I mean, I think that they're going to go after him. I think that they, I don't know if I'd necessarily say that they're going to be in the mix for him, but um, yeah, I think David Poyle is going to do what he does every year and try and get some free agents in here. But I don't know if that's, I, I don't know if Bodker is like, absolutely. They need Mikel Bodker to come in here and, you know, I just do like, things. I like to say the name. I'd like to say the name of Bodker. He's, he's, he's a good player. He's a good player. I'm all for all the Nordic guys we can get. I, uh, where's Bodker from? Denmark. Denmark, okay. Yeah, I'm all for that then. I'm yeah. a big fan. I like I like players from weird places. Um, they don't have a ton of hockey players from them. Not, I'm not saying Denmark's a weird place. I'm about to say Denmark, man. They're it's gonna, not a weird place. Denmark yeah. on line three. Uh, I, Let's go to Olaf from Copenhagen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I Just to not answer the question, I'm going to say, at this point, the part of me that just loves suffering and chaos in, in the hockey community... Um, in, in a good way, not in a bad way, not like a weird way. That's going to come off the way intended. The one part of me that likes chaos just hopes that VZ doesn't sign now because of the end. Because it's just it's an endless kind of thing. And at this point, my brain sort of shut down. Sort of like VZ, it just shoots off in your direction. I just can't handle it anymore. So I just kind of so. But if, if it doesn't sign, it's just going to be like chaos, and it's going to be hilarious. Um, but that's the part of me that just wants to watch the NHL burn. <laughs> Uh, the NHL wouldn't burn. It actually would just be Nashville that would burn. Another free it, agent went and spurned Nashville, you guys. Damn it. That's a mild reaction compared to what I would have. I, my, here's the reason why he has to sign in Nashville. Because Sportsnet. I freaking hate Sportsnet's, like, how they're yeah. how they're handling the, the, the Maple Leafs rebuild. So when we get Stamkos and VC and Erickson and Matthews and... Right, here's, here's a, here's a, a terrible screw-up. And I'm trying really hard to say censored words here. The, were the Leafs media, when that's essentially what Sportsnet is, is that they cater to the Leafs. That's fine. I mean, I get it. They're Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, they, they are the permanent LeBron James of Canadian sports where everything is, you know, got to be circulate, you know, circulating around them. I get it. But all the players they acquired from Ottawa, they're still signed through next year. They do not have all the cap room in the whole world to go out and sign everybody. Well, oh, here's something I want to add on to you, and I want you, and I want you to you can carry this from here. Sure. But one thing people forget quite a bit with the Leafs is they have about forty million dollars in long-term injury right now. Forty million dollars worth of players in long-term injury. That's a lot. If they want to start signing VZ and Stamkos, they've got, and and not to mention, there's a decent chance the cap might actually come back and lower a little bit, or at least stay the same, it's going to be really hard for them to sign all these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we say that. Um, this is a list of uh, unrestricted free agents they have. This is just the forwards next year. Grabner, $3 million, unrestricted. Spalling, $2.2 million for Nick Spalling, unrestricted. P.A. Parenteau, $1.5. Arcabello, $1.1. 1. 1. 
Brad Boy 7, Rich Clint 5. Not a whole lot of big money right there that's, that's coming off the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leo Komarov, uh, Mr. Piano Bar himself, is for 2.9 up until the end of 2018. Uh, Colin Greening, 2.6, got a couple years left. Daniel Winnick, 2.2. All the bigger, all the guys that are unrestricted free agents, they combine to like what four, five million. They've only got five million dollars in cap space right now, so yeah. and look, they're living off of long-term injury. Yeah, yeah. Right now on long-term injury, Nathan Horton, Joffrey Lupo, JVR, Bozak, Milan McCollick, Jared Cowan, Stefan Robidoux, all of those guys are getting paid three million dollars or more. Yeah, and a lot of those guys, like I mean. Uh, Horton is not someone who's going to c- come off that, but like, a no. lot of those guys like Lupul and uh, did you say Kadri? No, uh, Bozak. Uh, you said Bozak. Like those are guys that contribute to the team on a daily basis. Yeah, I, Robota, not so much. I just, no. I just <laughs> don't. The thing, and I, I feel like I've said this before, so forgive me if I have. Go for it. The thing that I still don't understand is why fans in media in Toronto assume that all these. Superstar players, especially the guys who are getting closer into their thirties or getting to their first unrestricted free agent contract, are going to want to sign in a team that is five years away from being competitive for a Stanley Cup. Money, I guess. I, mean, I don't know. They, I mean, they said the same thing about Babcock too. Because remember uh, last summer, there's no way Babcock's going to Toronto. There's no way, and then all of a sudden well, he get there. I, I, okay, here's here's what I'm going to say differently because I, I think Babcock's a totally different situation. Mm. Babcock has won Stanley Cups with the Red Wings. No problem. Had a system, achieved all the goals that a coach could want to achieve in the NHL. So you want to, obviously he's not that old. So you want to, what do you, it's like you get bored with the same thing. So you say, I want to go out, I want to have a challenge. I am, I am Mike Babcock. I can go anywhere I want and play and be the guy and everyone's going to throw money at me. I want to do something difficult, something new, something that's really going to, 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 to engage me as a person and fulfill me as a person, as a coach. Where do you go? You go to a team that is messed up, re- that needs to scorch itself into ash and rebuild itself, and then you make that team successful. Then you can say you're one of the best coaches of all time. So why didn't he sign in Buffalo? Uh, because I, he's also Canadian. General manager. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that too. There's Toronto has a triumvirate, like a dream team of Shanahan, Lou, and Babcock. Yeah, you're I mean, able to build between the three of those guys together with the negotiations they can do and the network of people they have and just yeah. the expertise that they have. They can build a team perfectly over time. Babcock's not going to go anywhere. He's probably going to coach the Maple Leafs until he retires. But he's able to build. I mean, we talk about this is a good. This is a cross board analogy. College football coaches don't like going to the NFL and vice versa. Because college football coaches like to build their roster, they can they can get as many first round draft picks as they want as long as they're. Rec- I mean, that's what recruiting is. You're essentially selecting your players. Whereas the NFL players are assigned to you through the draft, essentially. Where you, well, I'm not able to pick um, defensive end number one, but I can have defensive end number five. Okay, he's available, best player available. So, with with uh, the situation that the Leafs are in, and maybe because Detroit's not going to be spending a lot of money right now, or, or Perhaps maybe he knew the writing was on the wall with Detroit, kind of the arc of that franchise, that it's going to take a few years before Detroit is back in the hunt for the for the Stanley Cup again. With Datsuk and Zetterberg getting older, Larkin, they have a, another wave that's coming up, but the talent pool isn't near as deep as we thought it was. So, no, I, but no, I, I yeah, I think that's I think there's a lot that goes into it. I, I you know that being able to build something new, there's, there's a sense of entrepreneurship there, and I will always go back to if if you have hit a a 
if you are already considered the best coach and you've hit this pinnacle, these amazing achievements with teams that no one thought could ever be successful in Detroit, that, that was aging, that were, you know, were missing pieces, and you still your system worked, and you can challenge yourself and demonstrate how good you are and get paid to do that. I mean, that's that's a lot of people who are career driven people. That's what they're going to pursue. That's what they want to do. They want to be the best. They want to show to the best, and they want to keep challenging themselves. And that's what Toronto is. I mean, Toronto, I think, is a, actually a bigger challenge than Buffalo because Buffalo has a plan. They're executing that plan, and they're going to be a fun team for a few years. Mm-hmm. And plus, they already did all the heavy lifting with tanking. Yeah, they've already th- that system is separate. It's it's a totally different situation. And I think I think Toronto's a great place for Babcock because he can either, he's either going to prove himself to be one of the best NHL coaches in history. Or he's going to actually tarnish himself a little bit, and and, and we'll see. It's 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 really interesting. He to gets watch. to come in on the ground floor and do a complete rebuild, yeah. whereas yeah. instead of just overseeing the final the final yeah. project, all he has to do, Babcock has to win a cup with Toronto, and he will be revered. He never has to for, buy for anything else years. in his life if he ever. Can, if he can over the rest of his career win one cup with Toronto, he'll be revered for the rest of Canadian history. Yeah, he'll probably be on a coin, which will be worth like thirty cents on the dollar. <laughs> Sorry, had to go there. So would it be called a Mooney? A Looney, a Toonie, and a Mooney? A Booney. Babcock. Oh, yeah. Uh, Calvin Jonker writes in, uh, Thoughts on rolling two defensemen and one forward against Dallas's top three in overtime? Why not try to pin, Dal- pin in Dallas zone? Um, Don't pin start- in the zone they attack. S- they started the... Uh, they started it with uh, one with one forward and two defensemen. They shifted off one of the defensemen after after the faceoff was settled. In. Which a lot of teams do because generally what I see a lot from watching overtimes because I love three on three and I'll watch as many as I can. Uh, but a lot of teams will start that two defensemen and one forward until they get possession, and then they start rotating in the two forwards and the one defenseman or the three forwards or whatever it is that they do. And depending on the defense you have available, it's sort of, you, know, you may have a, a defenseman who's going to be a more standard defenseman, and then you may have a more, like a like a Ryan Ellis type guy who can who can activate to a degree that he's basically can double as a forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and since some teams have those assets, some don't. I, I imagine the Senators would uh, just assume Carlson is a forward on the three-on-three. Three. Yeah. That would work. Uh... Let me go a little bit out of order. Jordan, um, let's see, Devil Raider 28 writes in. He wants to know our thoughts on, it looks like Eric Ingalls was stating that uh, Nashville's in the mix for Dale Weiss. I saw that. Does Dale Weiss do anything for the bottom six that they don't have already? I don't think so. No. I mean, he's uh, he did okay with the Habs' last playoff series, I think. And then got a contract. What do you have? Know what, what he makes like, right now? He's I don't know. He's I can pull it up real quick. He he comes across as like a. Uh, it's really weird, but these players like him, Yuri Sikatch, uh, that are just kind of, and the common denominator I believe is either Anaheim or Montreal, where they just kind of shovel these guys around. Yeah, because I saw this that report when I was uh, right before the movie started, so I haven't gotten a chance to. Uh, makes about one million dollars. Okay, yeah. So not not a whole lot. I was I was thinking. The yeah, I was thinking it was going to be something like three or four million for some reason. But I saw that when uh, the movie was starting, so I didn't have time to put up a rumor post about it or anything like that. But I I don't see what Dale Weiss brings other than maybe playoff experience that the Predators don't have right now. Yeah. So I guess that they oh, could get yeah, him for... playoff experience. Yeah, because yeah, that's so important. Uh, I guess they could get him for a couple of picks so it wouldn't be very expensive. But, but what then. are you doing at that point? You're just trying to make a trade for the sake of making a trade? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a St. Yeah, Louis I, that, kind of, that kind of wraps back around to the, the question we started off with. Um, really, there's, there's only a limited number of moves to be made, and most of them aren't going to make the Predators a better team for the playoffs. 
Mm-mm. One last question. This is uh, probably my favorite one we got today. Uh, Richard Lawson writes in, what is more humiliating? Preds three on three or KFC Nashville hot chicken? Uh, I'm going to go just, I want to, th- before we actually answer the question, I'm going to th- also throw out C, which is, oh, Charlie's hot chicken. Oh, Charlie's has hot chicken? They do. Oh, God. Well, at least oh, Charlie's is based here. Are they? Yeah. Huh. Don't, why do you, why do you say things that, that hurt me, Dan? <laughs> Someone has to do it. Um, I, I'll say this, that I, as much as I don't like the actual product that KFC's putting out there, I'm at least glad to know that. Nashville has evolved into the next phase of pop culture, and that is because we are now a flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's building on that. uh, I got a text from my uh, buddy who lives in uh, the Fort Lauderdale. He went to Miami and uh, does a lot of work there. But yeah, he said that he had Nashville hot chicken for the first time because they have it down there. And you saw some hot chicken when you were in Tampa, didn't you? Uh, I saw it actually in the panhandle. Panhandle, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's getting around. So... Uh, I, I think my my actual answer to this, I do want to give an actual answer, is it, the wor- it's the worst of the two, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, it's it's definitely the three on three overtime, because I have to watch the three on three overtime. I don't ever have to engage with KFC hot chicken in any capacity. I can pretend it doesn't exist, and in fact, essentially for me, it does not exist because I don't encounter it in any way, shape, or form. I encounter the price three on three overtime way more often than I'd ever want to. And I'm constantly disappointed by it. Yeah. I imagine that if I ever had KFC hot chicken, that I would be more disappointed in that than the three-on-three overtime. But, I mean, I, I, I know what I was getting myself into. See, my question so. is, why have they not done a Nashville hot chicken double down? Because they put, like, hot sauce all over it. So it would be, like, gross and... It would like burn sticky, I, mean, I guess. Well, I don't know. Okay, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how that's different than probably other K, KFC's other food. They don't put sauce directly on it. You can actually hold a piece of chicken. Oh, I always assumed that KFC just pretend, said that grease was a type of sauce. It probably well, they do cook it in a pressure cooker. So as soon as you like bite off the skin, it you know it's kind of amazing. I haven't had KFC in like six years, so I don't really miss it or anything. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe, they, maybe I'll go get some KFC when I go home. They are known I hate for myself. They are known for like the they actually fry it in a pressure cooker instead of just a regular fryer, right? Which kind of makes everything a bit more plump. So, you know who uh, KFC's uh, Colonel Sanders taught to be his protege? Norm Macdonald. No, no, this is a real life story. Like who, and he became a very successful uh, fast food mogul himself. Lucy's S. Grant. Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas. Really? Yes. Interesting. I was wrong. (laughs) You were really really wrong. (laughs) Uh, Let's go to some NHL news. Um, Start with Minnesota. Minnesota, after they fired Mike Yo, apparently Minnesota has such an unmotivated team that they have to have some bizarre catalyst every single year to just propel them into the playoffs, even despite having a roster that is, you know, got getting paid Liberia's deficit. Um, Mike Yo being fired. Torchetti comes in. Minnesota goes on a roll, and they destroy Chicago today, 6-1. to Who thought that that was going to happen? I didn't see that happen. I I don't know. Someone someone's rolling dice behind the scenes. There's a guy to re, like roll a twenty back to back. Yeah, if only it they happens. could do that in the playoffs. But wow. Um, I personally don't wasn't looking forward to uh, or personally wasn't pulling for Minnesota to do this because a I don't like them having fun and b it actually doesn't benefit my team. Um, that said, uh, Chicago 
let's see, actually have been caught by the Blues for the most part. The Blues have won five in a row. They're only two game, two points back of the lead in the Central now. Uh, Alex Steen got hurt last night. Alex Steen's out for four weeks. Marian Hosa still on IR. Uh, other updates, Jonathan Drouin is still a Tampa Bay Lightning Bolt, and the Miners are in purgatory. Uh, Yager, is he ahead. suspended? Or is he, He's is suspended. Is he suspended? Yeah. Suspended, okay. yeah. Uh, Yager is now number three all-time scorer. How do you guys feel about that? I'm pleased. Yeah, to keep keep scoring. Yaramir, play for another six years. Uh, all of it only ever goes to, sh- to remind me how ridiculous Gretzky was at scoring goals. Uh, you have to also, I mean... I, no, granted, he was he, when it was when like the average goaltending save percentage was like an eight. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, still, though, still, that's I mean, incredible. the numbers are absurd because there were other guys playing during that era. You know what? Uh, I I saw something the other day that I totally forgot about his last season when he was playing with the Rangers. He got like nine goals or something like that, but still had like seventy points. No, he was an amazing passer. I his um, I'm just looking, I got it pulled up right now. The all time points per game. Uh, Gretzky's at 1.92, Mario Lemieux's at 1.88, and number three is Bossy with 1.49. Give me an idea how high those guys are ahead of everybody mm-hmm. else. Uh, number four is defenseman Bobby Orr. Points per game. Yeah. Crosby's at number five. I heard that guy sucks now, though. <laughs> Joking, of course. Number 38 is actually McGilney. McGilney is right behind, uh, he's actually uh, right behind Gordy Howe, who's tied with Zygmunt Palfi. So that's a really weird stat. Uh, Kopitar's hurt. That's really about it for the NHL news. Oh, Montreal is really stupid. And uh, N- N- news. Yeah. So over under on when Michel Therrien gets fired. I saw reports that uh, Bergevin may not even be considering firing him next year. This well, I mean, you, you, it, it, as long as you have a French name. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a French name, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's not a problem. I I like I don't see the. I mean, from an outsider, I don't see the point in canning him at any time this season because there's. I mean that that they're just a train wreck right now. But if Mark Bergevin wants to commit career suicide and keep uh, Therian this year or into next year, it's it's going to be great. So using doubling down here with Chris Link logic here, and this is a really smart move. I'm going to go into my LinkedIn and change my name to uh, or change the pronunciation to. Danielle Bradley and put NHL coach on my resume so I'll be hired by the Canadians because A, I have NHL coach on my resume and B, it's now a, a well, francophone uh, pronunciation. You can leave it as Bradley just just instead of a Y have it end in an I-E-R mm-hmm. and just say it's Bradley. Brad- Bradley. <laughs> yeah, that works. But you had a little a little like I'm sorry, my mouth's a bit dry but you had to get the like little, little like extra little little extra French you put in the end of that. Um, if, if my mouth Bradley. was... Bradley. Yeah, a little bit like that, yeah. Bradley. Daniel Brelech. <laughs> I think we're yeah. on to a different language now, but that's good. That works. All right, anything else before we get into five tough questions? Uh, actually, real quick, uh, have the Blues iced a healthy roster at all this year? Probably not, because they just got Jake Allen back off of IR. Mm-hmm. So, hello, hello, Blues goaltending controversy. Well, if you haven't heard, the Blues, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in in curses and things like that. But the Blues are cursed. Mm. Yeah, just I'd, reminding you. I believe it. Now, I just because I was thinking because Schwartz was out for so long, and then uh, uh, Petrangelo was out for a little. No, no, no it was uh, Shattenkirk was out for a Bo while. Meester, he, Bo Meester Bo actually Meester. missed games. Yeah, that's that right. never happens. Mm-mm. So Latera was out for a while too. Schwartz. Uh, so real quick, 
is there any other really, really good team in the league? Because the Blues are really good. And there's no two ways about it. I don't hate the Blues. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I enjoy watching them play. They play a, a good style. They have a lot of fun players to watch. Tarasenko is an absolute gem of this league. Is there any other really good team that no one in the NHL is taking seriously as a contender? The way that people are just dismissing, the way that no one's talking about how good the St. Louis Blues are. Let me think about that for a second. Because we're hearing, I've heard more, I feel like the Kings are getting more respect, which of course they do have two Stanley Cup rings and they, they kind of alternate years with the Blackhawks it seems. Mm-hmm. But the Blues are really good and no one's taking them serious as a contender. It's because they're cursed. I think that there may be something to that where people just where people just quit buying into them. This isn't, this isn't exactly correct and doesn't exactly answer um the or you know meet all the criteria but i think that there's a little bit of recency bias with the tampa bay lightning this season because of how bad they've been for like the first half i think that still if you look at them you still okay that's going to be a team that you're going to have to go through in the east um but i mean they're still teetering on a wild card position and i think they just with their uh, win against the penguins yesterday just got back into the divisional spot um and i think you could probably say the same thing about the ducks too because to start the season, you could not go a hockey article without hearing about how the Ducks are going to be a Stanley Cup contender, and then they started so awful, and now I think that they've got the best points percentage in the league in the last like twenty games or something like that. And they didn't fire their coach either. Yeah, Bruce Boudreau may know a thing or two, but yeah, that was I'm amazed he pulled that one out of the ditch. Boudreau I think he's amazed that he pulled that one out of the ditch. He knows too. two things: hockey and barbecue sauce, and and Hagen-Dazs. Hagen-Dazs, Yeah, that was going to be the other three thing. things, and how to score goals. Or at least how to coach guys to score goals. Well, I mean, he has got the, uh, uh, he's got one of the records in the AHL, I think, for scoring goals. Hmm. Yeah, he's in the AHL Hall of Fame. Wow. He was also in the movie Slapshot. Really? Yeah, he was uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, green team guys who scored like a bunch of uh, goals against the Chiefs ah. early on in the movie. I think I haven't seen Slapshot in probably about like seven or eight years. Yeah, P. Weber's gonna throw throw a metaphorical rocket his at his computer listening to that. <laughs> For a guy who oh, just I've re- seen it though. For for a guy who absolutely loathes cursing, I'm, I'm surprised how much he loves that movie. This is true. Yeah. Mean, he just he hates cursing. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Five tough questions. Number one. From where you sit and from your personal opinion, what is the biggest position of need for the Nashville Predators right now? That silence is a good thing, Dan, because that means it is a tough question. Uh, can I say just not Gostad? I mean, is that a valid answer? So th- you, their need is your need is a a fourth line center that can skate or yeah. What can I you mean, do? Pretty what? much okay. I mean, uh, just just moving away from Gostad. There's only so much uh, th- as far as needs go, because I think they've. I I would like here's I, I would like to have another uh, top six left wing. That would I would really love for the Predators to add another top six left wing. Um, you know, VZ might be that guy. Who knows? Um, that's that'd be something uh, uh, more permanent back of goaltender. But I mean, biggest area of need. It's tricky. Yeah, it is because I mean they don't need a goaltender. They need a goaltender to play well, but they don't need to bring anyone in. Um, you could look at you know their two C three C. And be like, you know, there's some things about Ribeiro's game that 
could be improved upon, but he's putting up consistent points. There are things about Fisher's game you probably want to improve upon, but he's, you know, the do-all player that's working right now. So, I mean, there are, like, little upgrades yeah. for that, but I don't think there's anything that's, like, huge, that yeah. gaping the, hole. The need is to clear out player bad contracts and players who are not as effective. And that uh, for the Predators, those are kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's the need is to clear kind of the, some of the, the chaff that is left over on the roster from when Poyle decided he needed to trade first-round draft picks for crappy players. Uh, so... It, so it's, it's weird, because it's, it's not really an area of need, but it's something they really need to do, but it's not, I don't, I don't think, a direct answer to your question, because I think it's more of they do addition by subtraction more than anything else. Anything else when we move on to the next one? I don't think so. That was a tough one. I do apologize. At least we get it out of the way. Uh, I told where do you guys been? Number five. <laughs> number two, after uh, seeing some tight games with the Stars and the Kings, and we're already familiar with the Hawks and the Blues, who would you say Nashville matches up the best with? Is a, like a playoff team? As far as a seven-game series, of those four opponents, which one of those opponents is Nashville most likely to win against? Okay, wait, what's the list? Stars, Kings, Hawks, Blues. Stars, Kings. Off, off the top of my head, I want to say the Stars. I'd say the Stars as well. Because they could suffocate. They could do a really good job suffocating their uh, top players because if you do that, and, like, shut down their top line, you know, shut down Sagan and Ben. Um, they do have weapons that can burn you down the lineup, but it gets progressively harder for them to yeah. do so. And, and Dallas, I think, is also very susceptible to injury. If, if a key player on Dallas gets injured, they're immediately substantially less effective. Because if, if Sagan or Ben gets hurt, all of a sudden they, they lost one of their two most essential tools. Even Spezza could have a hard they could have a hard yeah, time doing that. That's, you take out any one piece and, and they just are going to start struggling in, in a lot of areas. And that is true because Dallas does rely on one line more so than any of those other teams. Yeah. Fortunately, that line is a grand total of like five years old, so they can play forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they all have they all are UFAs at the end of their contract, so we can dream. Number three, right now, who would get your vote for rookie of the year? Pretty obvious for me. I mean, I'm I'm super biased, but I I go spare. Yeah, I mean, go spare. He, he's he's got his points per game are amazing. They're better. Than, I think they're better than Ekblad's were. He's also in go spare. No, we'll see. I I almost want to agree with Caps you just because it's, it's hard. But I want to be a little bit. I I don't like agreeing with you all the time, Link. We gotta we gotta do some other his things. Go spare. Yeah, I don't want to vote for the bread man because he's too old. Well, I guess he I don't played professional also, hockey. What? For, he played professional hockey for too yeah. long. For and I, I get that there's a rule and he's within his rights to win the Calder Trophy. Um, but, you know, I think that I think we've all forgotten a little bit about Jack Eichel and how good he's been this year. And I tell you what, man, Dylan Larkin is really good. He is really good. Colton Pareko is another guy that I'm... Um, he he's hit that rookie wall, I think, because I remember hearing his name so much at the beginning of the season. Well, he, do, he, he plays for St. Louis. He doesn't do anything super flashy, but he's just good. Yeah, he's super flashy. So you win trophies. Though. Yeah. Sadly, yes. There needs to be an offensive and defensive rookie of the year. <laughs> I'm. A, I mean, we need more Barrett, awards. Hey, Barrett if, Jackman does not agree. If we add more awards to the <laughs> NHL awards, we can have multiple musical acts. Think of how great that will be. 
we can find more Z-list celebrities to come out and present things. We're going to have Puddle of Mud and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know I can't even think of another who is the dude that they invited to the All Star game from Stained Oh Aaron Lewis that's it they, yeah Puddle of Mud and Aaron Lewis the they, they would be so desperate they'll actually be calling like the Hex Dolls and being like guys we'll fly you in from Vancouver the saddest picture I took the entire All Star weekend Hex, was course, during uh, it was during Media Day it was Aaron Lewis by himself right Aaron Lewis was just sitting there by himself and no one would come up and talk to him like no one was like what, what the hell are you doing here man uh, I'm gonna tweet this picture out now so if you can guys want to go back and and look at our our timeline who but is he again. Lead singer is Stained. And, oh, we had this conversation where I didn't know. I, I've heard of Stained, but they apparently have all that like southern iconography. They were just, uh, they were like uh, in that wave of like butt rock, new metal type of thing that was in like the early 2000s. So like Puddle of Mud, Stained, Papa Roach. Except uh, Stained made you, made you just so depressed when you listened to him. Like everything is terrible. Yeah. Like everything, it was everything. They paint a picture of just like a wasteland of everything. And it was... Yeah, that's bad. I think that they're you're all talking to a metal fan. John, John over here is a metal fan. I'm pretty sure that's standard stuff. Not yeah. necessarily. What do you think about? Um, I, I don't. I didn't know them very well, but Ghost winning best metal performance was that? How do you feel? Any feelings about I, that? I could not care less about the Grammys and who wins. Well, that. They, apparently, like I was, I was reading up about, it and they said that they the, because metal fans have been like they kind of got up in arms like the past like this isn't good. Mm-hmm. They actually had a independent panel review the Grammy selections mm-hmm. to try to improve the quality of the metal nominations. Didn't Alter Bridge get nominated for a Grammy this year? They're not a metal band. but uh, did, Alter Bridge still makes music? Yeah, they do. Fascinating. Yeah, but so, but to answer your question, I think Ghost is a fine band. I, uh, I don't... I haven't bought any of their records, and I've been on the cusp of doing it just to see if um, it's something I'd be interested in, but from the... Because uh, I have XM in my car, and they're on there a lot. And from every time that I listen to them, it's like, okay. And then as soon as the song's done, I do not think about them whatsoever. Interesting. See, I just, I'm not a huge metal person. But yeah, I but find the, the, whole, the whole culture fascinates me. Yeah, they're, they're an interesting band. Uh, rookie of the Year, Connor McDavid. I'm doing it now. He's going to Lame. Yeah. So lame. He's going to run, just catch up like in uh, the so Incredible. He's going to be like Dash in the end of The Incredibles. So Start from all the way back and then go. You know, you se- know second place. You second know, I've place. Never is seen good. The Incredibles. Oh my god! You Everyone gotta, says it's one of the best. I've never seen it's, it. It's yeah, it's really. You would enjoy it a lot. It's 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 so good. Such a good movie. I'd put that on your to do list this week. Yeah, seriously. Number four: Eric Stahl, David Backus, Stephen Stamkos. All right now are unsigned. All are playing on teams that are in the playoff picture currently. So you guys have ever played a uh, Mary F Kill, right? Yes. You have to do something to each of the three people. Which is the most likely to be signed by his current team, traded, and walk as a free agent? So wait, what, what's the? I don't have a pen. What's the list of players? Okay, Eric so, Stahl, Stahl, so it's going to be David Backus, Stephen Stamkos. Uh, Backus is going to be traded. Stamkos is going to sign. Uh, Stahl is going to walk as a free agent. Man, I, I agree in the Backus one. Um, I think the Stahl. Stamkos one is really tricky because it is. I, I know you could go either Stahl, way on that well, one. I, I know that Stahl really wants to stay. He, I mean, he's been he said he wants to stay in Carolina. Well, he said the uh, just about like a week or two, like earlier this week, is like, mm, and I it's pretty much verbatim, but not quite. So I guess it wouldn't be verbatim. Then it's pretty close to what he said. Whatever's close to verbatim, but yeah, not verbatim. Is exactly. What we're um, he said, "Well, if I wouldn't be heartbroken if I got traded or something along those lines." Yeah. yeah well, uh, then in that case, I, I think I'd have to land the same as you. I, I can't really fundamentally disagree with that. All right. Finally, number five. Right now, 
Vancouver Canucks are not good. They I'd say they're bad. They aren't going to be good for a while. They're no, a terrible. They're team. about a thousand years old. When you look at the Nashville Predators roster, what would you give up? For the Predators to offer a trade for both the Sedin brothers. Nothing. Can, I, can like, we just get Redeem Verbata instead? That'd I don't, be a lot I don't cheaper want the Sedin brothers. Really? really? No, no, I mean, they might have to displace to pick them up in the salary you'd be taking on and at their ages. They're still good players, though. They're still good players. I'm not saying they're not good players, mm-hmm. but for the Predators, it doesn't make any sense. I you, they're, I want to pull up their... Um, I've got I've got General Fanager open. I want to pull up what they get paid right now. They get paid around uh, around seven. So I would like to see some salary being retained from from Vancouver, of course. Yeah, but they're they're getting paid seven. So they you'd have you'd be adding fourteen million in cap. Let's just assume that that Vancouver doesn't keep anything for the next two years. That's a lot of cap money. So you'd be having to send out cap money. You'd be having, you'd you'd have players having to take a back seat. You would have to make a lot of changes for two guys who are going to, you're going to be paying a lot of money at 36 and 37. And who do, so they would displace probably Ribeiro. Well, they'd probably uh, take off like Smith or Wilson for sure, or if not both if of not them. Both, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, losing Ribeiro for a Sedin, fine. I think that's about equivalent. Losing Wilson for a Sedin is going to be painful just because of salary. But then what we don't get into is the prospects that would be involved with that, which, you know, your Victor Kamenevs, your Kevin Fialas, your, um, you know, your Jack Dowerty's, just because, I mean, their cover is probably not the worst in the NHL, but it's not good. I think it's just, that's just like, ugh. Yeah, I so, like yeah, I, like, I, I've been on the Redeem Verbata train for probably like four weeks now. I think that considering what he makes and what makes he can do. Makes $5 million a year. But he's an unrestricted years old. He's an unrestricted free agent out of uh, this. And if you look at his numbers last year, they were fantastic for his age. And if you look at what he's been doing this year, he has not been playing with the Sidine brothers, which he was doing all of last year. So if you put him with a Mike Ribeiro or a uh, Ryan Johansson, even though he plays right wing, um, so maybe you put him on Ribeiro's line with uh, Smith. Uh, I'm sorry, with uh, Fisher. I, Philip Forsberg. Forsberg. That's it. That's the one. I got to go through all one. of them. Swedish one. And he's has some chemistry with Ribeiro. They didn't play a lot together when they were in Phoenix, but they played enough uh, to suggest that they have some chemistry there, and their possession numbers were good, and they produced enough in only like 200 minutes, I think, they played together. That would make more sense than grabbing the Sedin brothers. Here's why. Here's my my challenge flag with you on that is that right now Vancouver, they're not going to go anywhere for a long time. Vancouver, you're right. Their cupboard is pretty bare. But when you're natural and you have so many redundant prospects, I mean, if you say, all right, if I'm not, I don't know where where we are with Kevin Fiala at this point. I really don't know where we are with him. Well, if, if VC signs, then he's redundant. He's even more redundant than he is right now, but that's a huge question mark. I would say Viala's redundant, but let's say like your Ponis Obergs and your, they have a lot of guys that are like 22, 23 years old that frankly could be on this Canucks roster right now. I mean, can, can the Vancouver Canucks are paying $2.6 million to Derek Dorsett. That's a lot of money for Derek Dorsett. Yeah, for not just one year. That's their Eric Nystrom concert, uh, contract right Did there. Did they sign him? Because I remember he, he was part of the trade from Rangers to Columbus, and then he signed yeah, there with I think a that was free a Rangers, agent, right? I think that might have been a Rangers contract. Either way, yeah, I don't they're remember. paying. They're, they're having to write that check. I think if no, Vancouver was, was New York, I think if Vancouver was to retain some salary on that, which 
it wouldn't surprise me knowing how starved that they are for draft picks because they don't even have all their draft picks for this year. They've got they've got their top four rounds. They have no pick in round five. They got their own pick in round six, and they have two sevens. They've got they don't have the full um, they don't have all their draft picks. Their farm system's pretty crappy right now. Somehow Mike Gillis does have was the uh, did get the GM trophy as we personally witnessed. I don't think it would be a terrible move. I really don't. I think if you were to get rid of some contracts like a like a Ribeiro and Wilson or Smith and just go all in for two or three years while you still have guys that are on cheap contracts, while you still have a Philip Forsberg when he's really affordable, when you still have all these guys on cheaper contracts, for three years, we'll see. I see wheels turning. I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to, I just, you, that's, that is a timeout that I will take from you and not give back. <laughs> Look, I got a football reference. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm very proud of myself. But I just, I don't, I don't see selling off a bunch of reasonably useful, finely, well, I mean, what you get from uh, Ribeiro for his dollar amount is great. He's still a great value on the dollar. Wilson, whatever. But I I don't see a reason to trade off reasonable players uh, to to clear out your, you know, kind of clean house for... A couple guys who are going to add a ton of salary. I, I, mean, I, I, have, I can't stress enough that the record would have to retain some salary to make this. Well, happen. how much? How much do they have to retain? Well, there's fourteen know. million dollars to retain. And how much? How much space do they have? Becker, not a lot. They only has like five million dollars worth of space. Yeah. They don't have a ton of space. They're not going to want to retain money. Well, let's say if they. I mean, if they, they want back draft, they want back some of the primo picks. That's something you would have to do. If they would have to, re, they would have to retain some in order to get Nashville. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole it's, big. I think it's it's, it's, it's a really complicated. Worms, and I yeah. think I don't think they're going to retain enough to make it worth it because then you're going to have, um, because you've got to, you're going to have to have a contract for Johansson coming up. You're going to have Weber. You're going to have Rene. You're going to have two Sedins. You've all these guys getting paid over seven million dollars. The Predators are going to shackle themselves. I'm surprised you didn't say Weber. Did I not, did I miss out Weber? No, no, no. I'm surprised you didn't say Weber as far as what you would want to give up. Oh, for the Sedins? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, just knowing I, you, I knowing would, how much you don't like, no, you would, don't like that contract. Well, Weber, Weber. Yeah, I don't like the contract, and, and but I, you're not. I don't, why would you trade a, a top pairing defenseman for a couple guys in their mid to late thirties by the time you get them on board? It just it isn't the way you success. I don't think it's the way you successfully manage a hockey team pulling those guys on, and it just puts you in a cap in cap hell. Unless, unless Vancouver retains a whole lot of money for two seasons, keep in mind two seasons, you're tying up. Let's just say they, they I mean, if they even kept half, that'd be ridiculous when they keep half. <laughs> so they're going to keep what? A couple million, maybe a piece max? So mm-hmm. you're adding $10 million in, in cap hit in two guys in 36 and 37? Yeah, on top of the $14 million you already have for Weber it's, and it's, It just Rina. doesn't make any sense. Got it. All right, yeah, that was just posed to me, so I was like, yeah, let's see if we can fit that in there. I don't think it's a great move to begin with, but I could see like some reasoning behind it. I don't know if it's the time. I think that ship may have sailed with them. So what do we do with the Sedins? I mean, do you kind of feel bad for them? Is they're pretty much going to be trapped up there for the rest of their career? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the big question is with the Sedins, are are they willing to split up to try to have the chance to win the cup? Because the, the chance of you cannot acquire them both, it's too difficult. Mm-hmm. Unless... Vancouver's just willing to take a hit for uh, yeah, whatever and reason. Take a huge hit. Yeah, exactly. Which, which would make sense. Essentially, for no, it wouldn't, essentially it wouldn't be, at all. They would be buying draft picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I which think, teams have done that before? 
the I guess the hope for them would to would be to just kind of Jerome McGinley it, where if they agree to go their separate ways for the first time in their career, uh, not counting the All-Star game. Uh, if they agree to go their separate ways, then hopefully they can, you know, ride some contracts out later and, and later. Um, but I think that the the ship sailed on them getting good value for those two players because people know that even though that they're still productive, even though they can still contribute, they're depreciating assets that are not going to be living up to their salary. Fair enough. All right. Anything else before we close the book on this one? I don't think so. All right. You can find him on Twitter at jgarcia36. You can find Link on Twitter at 3dlink. You can follow myself at Dan D. Bradley. Follow the show at on the four check. Uh, catch us online at SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Oh shoot, Pocket Cast, and TuneIn. Got them all. Let's get like a big card and host hold that up at this point. <laughs> There's so many of them. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. RSS feeds are great. All right, uh, that's it for this week, and we'll catch you back next week. It's been the Predcast, and we'll talk to you all soon.